Warning, this podcast contains adult language and is not suited for children. And we're back. We're back after AEW's Revolution, which was a hell of a show, a hell of a long show. And uh, we've also got some interesting developments out of WWE. So from the top, let's get some of the hashtags out of the way. Uh, hashtag Free Ali, hashtag Send Hook. Hashtag uh, what uh, Layla Hirsch for Team Taz. Yeah, I got that one too. And uh, hashtag Cody did nothing wrong because hashtag Cody really hasn't done too much since last time we talked. So, uh, okay, who are we? I'm Joe. He's Drake. You can find him at the Lion Knight 42 on Twitter. This is the Squared Circle sit down where we're back again. We try every week, I promise, to talk about everything professional wrestling. What the hell is going on in the pro wrestling world? Thank you again for joining us on your podcast platform of choice. That's uh, Anchor, Stitcher, Spotify, Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts. Yeah, all five. Got it. So, Drake, you just talked to me. You just talked to me about this. We've got a long way to go with AEW. So much to talk about AEW. Everything AEW this week. Oh, my God, so much AEW. Let's talk WWE first. Okay, so real quick, before we talk WWE or AEW or anything else, we're, I just obviously, we had a pay-per-view this past week, and obviously, that's where our focus is going to be. Hopefully, if nothing too crazy happens... Or if anything crazy does happen, next week we will be picking up the Curious Case of Cody Part 2. But yeah, okay, let's let's jump right into WWE because we do, we have so much to go over this week. So there's one thing that, you know, I definitely want to talk about with WWE, but I'd like to, I'd like to save that for, if there's anything else you want to talk about with WWE first, I'd like this to be the little like cherry on top. I believe it was the last segment on Raw, so it makes sense. That's fair. That's fair. So the one thing that I definitely wanted to mention is we have three new champions in about a week and some interesting choices, right? So you've got Finn Balor dethroning uh, Damian Priest to become the U.S. champion, which to me feels, okay, yay, I'm a fan of Finn Balor, but oof, has Damian Priest fallen off a cliff? And I can only hope they have a plan, but man, it doesn't seem like they do. No, it, it very much is like they wanted to turn Damien heel. They've they've turned him heel. Uh, we got to do something with the belt because we just don't want another heel champion right now. Uh, fuck it. Finn Balor's a guy people like. Put it on Finn Balor. He hasn't had a singles title since he, he uh, in main roster canon, since he flubbed his universal title win and in wrestle canon since his NXT title. So this reeks to me of transitional reign and yep. Austin Theory beats him. Yeah, maybe at Mania, maybe after. Well, no, because Austin Theory is facing Pat McAfee at WrestleMania. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, there's another development. Vince McMahon on the Pat McAfee show. Oh, man, what an interview that was. Yeah, so we could come back to that. But uh, the other two champions are, I'm, I'm saving the best for last on this one. Rated RK Bro wins their tag titles back. In an odd move, I'm a fan of the team. Like, they're crazy over. I'm you a call huge them, fan of... You called them rated RK, bro. Oh, whoops. <laughs> Edge is not a part of this, even though I... Man, I don't know. Edge is busy with something else, but it's kind of a shame. Because now that you mention it, I absolutely would love to have seen rated uh, RK, bro. Right? Okay, cool. Trio. Yeah, I'm, I'm running down the Mania match card in my head. And that whole... Th- like... 
Edge is in a weird place right now where it just feels like they want him to do anything. So they're making him be like, babyface heel, babyface heel. And I, I get it, but I also don't care. I mean, Edge is... So, so the only reason I don't care is because I just can't invest in the programming right now. But Edge is always at his best as a heel, in my opinion, right? So I don't hate this. It's kind of weird because AJ Styles has also been in that place where he's like, it eh, doesn't really... So he's supposed to have been the heel and the thing with him and almost, right? But, or Omos, but it doesn't really feel like it because you can't really feel like it when you're against the giant guy who's been throwing people around forever. And then it, so it's it's this weird thing where like AJ's a face now, but but not really. And Edge, who's doing his like return run, no matter how long it's been, it still kind of is that and, and will be. He's doing this return run who's been hitting all his like check marks now is supposed to have the crowd booing him. And that's really hard. Definitely, especially since the first, what, two years of it, he had no crowds. Yeah, so, yeah. Fine. Okay, so RK Bro minus Edge win their tag titles back. Mm-hmm. Okay, again, fan of the duo. I like them a lot. They are crazy over with the crowds. Kind of a weird flip-flop, like, back and forth here. I I almost wonder if it happens again. I think it does, yeah. because you, you had the whole, like, triple threat thing, but the i don't know it's still weird to me it it's very um, it's very much the like wwe style though right is how do, well okay how do we make a tag team right now well we had otis pin orton clean right we did that and they've been feuding and they've had some solid matches back and forth just like between them in whatever different versions it's been so you you swap the titles here and and you kind of do a hot potato with it maybe one, two, even like three times back and forth before I still have to assume the end game for all this, like the blow off is still one day going to be that like Orton turns on. Yeah. Yeah, of course. And a uh, six spot of uh, Gable goes for a moonsault and Orton hits an RKO, which is just, that doesn't seem physically possible, but okay. Not only was it just like so cool conceptually, but I can't believe how good it looked. It was so clean. God damn, Randy Orton is so good. Yup, yup. And the, the third title change, which is the one that surprised me the most, is Ricochet is your new Intercontinental Champion beating Sami Zayn. Now, I know we had this whole thing put out here of like possibly Sami Zayn versus Johnny Knoxville maybe for the Intercontinental title at WrestleMania, which would have been an interesting way to go. But now it seems like maybe we still get that, but it's not for the IC title, which is okay. Keep it away from them. Have Ricochet do something else. I remember reading a report right after I think Jeff Hardy got released because of that whole thing of Ricochet is the number two baby face on SmackDown. At least that's how they view it internally. And at least in the, the men's division. Right. Which was crazy because Ricochet had barely been on television for the better part of two years. And when he was, he was getting squashed by people. Well, WWE really likes to rely on that whole, well, we don't have to push you as long as the fans like you think, right? Where it's like the fans, you'll get over by us not giving a fuck about you because the fans will be like, we want more of this person, and they're being held back. So when you finally let them do literally anything, they're just so over. 
and they love doing this thing of we can make you in an instant of you can be a jobber on main event for your entire career and then you come in and win a battle royal because the fans know who you are and now you're a world title contender cough cough ginger mahal cough cough and that's something that they, they feel like oh we can just make anybody because again the brand is bigger than any individual so the brand pushes you so therefore you're a star yeah okay and I, I think that's something that like Vince even kind of spoke to in his interview multiple times of like well you know you're not just a wrestler you're a WWE superstar and okay Vince okay so I, I agree and this Ricochet thing is a really good example of it right where he's like you said, been doing nothing. He's been completely irrelevant for the entire time he's been up on the roster, on the main roster. And now he's the Intercontinental Champion. And as far as we know, they have plans for him to, to be doing things. Now, whether these plans are like plans for the future or whether their plans are, we're going to put the Intercontinental title on him and have him wrestle every week. We don't know, but... There's something which is exciting and like good for him because it's it's about goddamn time. The the Vince McMahon thing is crazy too. There's so many things that he said that really do reinforce some of the the concepts that people have had of him for years, and also put really interesting new like angles of view on it. Where it's hard to call him. Man, it's complex. That interview is wild. From top to bottom, it's wild. It's really hard to sit there and be like, Vince McMahon is out of touch now, right? Based on the way he did it. It's this almost, uh, uh, it's not even almost, it's this very willful thing that he does where he goes, this is how I perceive the product being presented. And so that is how it will be presented. And the only real motivator for him is and paul Heyman has talked about this a number of times will it make me money will it make me the most money and he pretty much confirmed that right um one of the things he brings up that i think is really relevant to stuff like this is how he was really glad when they went public because it allowed him to only think with his wallet right he only had to worry about the money because now there's the shareholders to answer to so now he can make every decision he wants to make without worrying about someone's well-being or if they have a he literally says this by the way where he's like if they have a family or if there there's stuff going on all he has to think about is will they make enough money and will it be something i can go to the stockholders with? and it it even if it's something that we've been like, you know, that's been the rhetoric of Vince McMahon for a long time. It's still really interesting, uh, not necessarily in a good way, obviously, but it's really interesting seeing how that perception seems to have come to be and how he's he's sort of cultivated it. Uh, so, and like the Ricochet thing is a good example of that, where it's like, okay, well, there's a lot to be done here with Ricochet and people like Ricochet and now that we don't have our, with all due respect, spot monkey with Jeff Hardy, we need someone else who can do these impossible, crazy things. And Ricochet is very good at that. So slap the gold on him. We've had number a number of conversations about how WWE's hardware is not prestigious titles. 
it's a prop for the character. And so you slap the gold on him, and now we're going to have that mean that he's relevant. We don't have to elevate him. He's already elevated by the metric of, you know, being on TV and having a belt. Exactly. And, you know, not to jump the gun here and, and go into another company, but you can look at a company like AEW and be like, well, who's the top baby face? Right. And it's okay. Well, it's Hangman. How do you know he's the top baby face? Well, he's a baby face and he's holding the world title. So obviously he's the top baby face. Okay, fine. Who's the number two baby face. And I think that opens up like a really interesting conversation of you could list a whole bunch of people that maybe it's them, maybe it's them, you know, and uh, you know, let's even just lop it off and say the men's division solely. Right. You could list maybe four or five names that, are the next people are who are the baby faces. So for me, when I, when I immediately think about that, the first two things that come to mind are, well, the TNT title is supposed to not be a secondary title, right? So Sammy Guevara. And then the obvious standout for me is like Darby Allen. Totally fair. And I think some people will agree with you. Some people will disagree with you and list other people like a John Moxley or, uh, you know, maybe an Eddie Kingston now, something like that. Uh, CM Punk. Totally and valid. Those are all names that I think could be, you know, even Sting could be a guy that you could look at and say is in that spot for a good reason. Okay, cool. But AEW doesn't book by just saying, well, here's the roles, right? The role is you're the top baby face, you're the number two, you're the number three, you're the number four. This was a clear instance of, WWE looked at SmackDown and they said, well, who's our top baby face? Drew McIntyre, right? Because Roman's a heel now. All right, cool. Well, who's the number two guy? Because we need that second slot filled. It's Jeff Hardy. Oh, crap. We got to get rid of Jeff Hardy. Okay, who's number three? Bump him up to number two. We don't really have too many people because, you know, people from the New Day are injured or on the other show or now technically we look at them as a tag team. Cool. So they don't get that spot. Uh, take the action figure out of the box, put them in the slot. That's where they go. Okay, the number two baby face, uh, how do we get them over really fast? Have them beat a heel. Who's a heel? Sami Zayn's a heel. Uh, it's a meaningful win because he wins a championship. There, go. And it's that's how they do things. Like we talked about this before. You can go back to an earlier episode and we talk extensively about all the different companies and how they view these types of things. But this is super WWE to a T. Yeah, and if you look at the landscape of SmackDown in the like weeks leading up to this, right? I don't think there's a single human being on earth who would be like, who's the number 3 babyface on SmackDown? Oh, Ricochet, clearly. Clearly. And it's like not even not even just based on, okay, well you fed everyone to Roman Reigns. No one's legitimate anymore because they've all they've all been felled. But even beyond that, like do you three weeks ago think of Ricochet before a guy like Nakamura? Hell no. No. Hell, Hell no. <laughs> Hell no. Not even close. Yeah, but you're absolutely right. Open the packaging, put the figure in place. This is your role now. Go. And speaking of, because I think it's a good transition point, uh, from a hell no to a hell yeah? <laughs> so after... Weeks of rumors online and conversations and whispers and discussions and teasing and mentioning Texas. Finally on Raw, 
We close out with Kevin Owens stomping his way to the ring. By the way, just as a heads up, I hate these storylines where it's like one of the top guys in the company doesn't have a match at WrestleMania. Fuck you, I'm not dumb. But anyway. So oh, no. Oh, the rhetoric, way- the oh. rhetoric that they pull of, I need a path to WrestleMania uh-huh. because... There's only like three spots on the card for the two night show, and there isn't gonna be some like tag team match with 15 people thrown into it. <laughs> yeah, I, I hate that storyline, it's super played out. Whatever. So he finally makes his way to the ring, gets in the ring, gets on the mic, does a very classic Kevin Owens yelling at everyone promo, and calls out, challenges Stone Cold Steve Austin, he challenges the man to appear on the KO show at WrestleMania. And Corey Graves sells it like he just challenged him to come out of retirement and have his first match in 19 years. And it's amazing. And it's this big deal. And then, you know, Austin responds on Instagram, Twitter, whatever, with a video. He's like driving his Jeep through the desert like he's prone to do when he gets out. And he talks about Texas And then he's like, fuck you, Kevin Owens, because Texas, and I'm going to show up. And he talks about his last match, and he's like, I don't care if it's a match, I don't care if it's the show, I don't care if it's a fight, but I'm going to fuck you up. And it's like, okay, well, so can we get confirmation of what the fuck we're doing here? (laughs) Because don't get me wrong, if if Austin is good to go and you're going to do that, you would be insane not to promote that. If Austin's not good to go and you're not going to do that, I feel like it's a really bad idea to lead the fans on with a, eh, but we might. And, like, to be fair, WWE loves doing carny shit, but uh, this is is not a good idea. (laughs) No, it is not. It's one of those things where I just feel like, there's nothing wrong with just doing the KO show and having Austin on it. It's going to lead to the same result either way. I think of like Owens looking at the lights after eating a stunner. Right. Okay. Yeah. It's going to be like, it's going to be like Austin, JBL, Booker T, Shawn Michaels, whoever the like else they can get who's from Texas. to just like kick his ass, drink some beers and then leave. Exactly. They did this basically back at uh, mania 21 with the Piper and Austin and that happened. It's a break segment in the show. You, for the Texas fans, it's a big pop. Mm -hmm. It's great. You know, you get to have that happen, but okay. (laughs) Don't forget the rocks retirement match against Eric Rowan. (laughs) That, that also was, was like that. That was one of those segments. Fair, fair. We'll get we'll get to him too. <laughs> a lot to cover. Oof. So much, so much wrestling and so much non-wrestling too, because AEW has had one hell of a week. Holy moly, have they ever. So before we get to AEW, uh, two things. One, seriously, I cannot say stress it enough. Watch the Vince McMahon interview. It is insane. Pat McAfee has a level of energy that blows me away the fact that that guy can go the way he can go just like in life is so so cool like good for him i can't imagine that i watch i watch my eight-year-old run around for 20 minutes and i'm like whoa i'm exhausted i'm done i'm gonna take a nap 
this man is just like going at a hundred, and I, I I respect the hell out of it. But him and Vince, you you can see the reverence that Pat McAfee has for Vince McMahon, and like for good reason. For all the for all the Vince is a good bad person, whatever aside, you can see exactly why and how Pat McAfee views Vince McMahon the way he does, and how Vince views himself, which is also really interesting, because we don't ever really get to see how Vince sees Vince outside of the character that he portrays on TV, and this was very decidedly not the character he played on. He plays on TV. Like, it took him a little while to get comfortable, and you can tell that he sits down, and he's kind of awkward and stuff, but 20-something minutes in, if not earlier, he's just, like, just going. He's just, he's comfortable, and he's talking, and he's chatting, and it's very much a Vince. We just, I don't think of ever, maybe not ever, but haven't seen in a very long time. A very, very long time. To the end where he's, like, almost boisterous about it, which is crazy. <laughs> and then two... Uh, New Japan Cup started. Ooh, tell me. Tell me more. Okay, so New Japan Cup started on the 2nd, I think. Uh, we've had some interesting stuff. Uh, El Fantasmo with attire of the year coming out with a, a jacket. So El, El Fantasmo has the jackets that have, like, the LEDs. So yes, the, yes. it has a scroll across the back of it that says, Fuck Putin. Oh, good stuff. Uh, we'll talk more about attires later tonight and, and meaningful things like that. Um, so we've seen... What have we seen already? Uh, I know Will Ospreay beat Bushi. I haven't watched that match. I heard it was it was pretty decent. Uh, <clears throat> Ibushi was supposed to face Great Okan, but couldn't. Uh, because Ibushi's still hurt, unfortunately. Uh, so that didn't happen. Uh, I don't remember what the other matches were. I haven't watched all of them yet, uh, but I'm excited for it. it. I've heard good things. There's a lot more to come. Uh, House of Tortures doing the same shit that we don't really want to see, which is unfortunate, but what are you going to do? I think that's what they're going to end up doing with them in like tournament structure things as far as the eye can see. Unfortunately. Although, oh, that's the one thing I will say. So it was yesterday, yesterday or two days ago. I apologize. I can't remember the days of kind of bleeding together for wrestling now. Just so much. Taguchi versus Evil had a great start to it. Taguchi comes out. <laughs> dressed like old evil, like like L I J evil with the scythe and the fantastic. And it's like wonderful. it's like the most budget cosplay version of it. Like it's not intricate or like or ornate or fancy. It's like he went to the dollar store <laughs> and found the worst costume he could find and rocked that. <laughs> That's great. That's yeah, totally great. It's a lot of fun. You know, it was probably just wrapped up on a shelf where it was like sexy evil. <laughs> he was like, good enough. Let's go. Perfect. Good enough. Taguchi sees sexy evil and he's like, this is exactly what I want. 
Okay, so uh, watch the Vince McMahon interview. New Japan is always fun. There was a very big announcement that we also got to talk about. Oh my god! And You're I right. didn't know there's been so was the much in wrestling. Oh my god! What week is it? Because we last time we talked, we were like, okay, Cody, where's Cody going to end up? And then there's going to be a pay per view. Now we're looking at it as like, okay, Cody, cool, we'll get to you later. Holy shit, there's so much going on. Okay, so, and there's things I have to say about that too. But first, I want it out there. I'm pretty disappointed we didn't have an episode last week strictly because you and I had a conversation. And I feel so, so happy. Because I said to you, tinfoil hat theory. And now we don't have it recorded before part one has happened. Tinfoil hat. I said, what if Tony Khan, crazy thought, was going to buy Ring of Honor <laughs> and then turn it into developmental and then maybe, maybe we can get the Cody, the Cody uh, deal to go through. Right? I had mentioned this and at the time it was a ludicrous off-the-wall, one-in-a-million shot, and then coked up and on however many Adderall this man takes, center of the ring, Tony Khan is just like, I bought Ring of Honor. It's not Shane. It's me, Ring of Honor. AEW, let's go. I can verify you did say that. I can verify that did happen. They, they have Ring of Honor now. Whoa. I and Huge. okay to my credit, I did say I did not think that you would ever see Ring of Honor again. Yeah, I I will I will say I did say that, and it takes something like this to happen. I think it would take something of this magnitude because I don't think ROH was like getting off the ground again on its own two feet. I mean, just... they were, they were, they were uh, announcing matches for the Super Card of Honor. For the next yeah time. but they were not gonna be like anywhere near the promotion level that they were no like, no it was gonna no. be ring of honor in name and in i guess in titles but like the level of talent that they could pull in is not gonna compare to what ring of honor used to be no, unless sure. they got you know just very good deals and partnerships with other promotions mm. and in this case they are the other promotion now there's so much there's so much that can come from this right so, most likely, I, I, don't, I haven't seen any confirmation, but I feel like it's fairly obvious that uh, Ring of Honor becomes developmental now, right? We've had the complaint for months now where it's like Tony Khan signs too many wrestlers. Tony Khan signs too many wrestlers. There's too many people on contract. Well, great. Now we have Dynamite, Rampage, and whatever the new format for Ring of Honor will be moving forward that will allow more talent to be displayed awesome great you have a really interesting opportunity now because he also gets the library which is huge some of the best matches stateside of all time great feuds that include people who are big parts of the company right now in present time you have like, I can't say all, but you have some huge moments for, like, Brian Danielson's career, CM Punk's career, which 
Oh, we'll we'll talk more about that. Um, you have you have so many the young bucks, so many things that you have access to now, and the most exciting of them, I think, is a question that Tony was asked. Uh, I think at the post pay per view media scrum, uh, and was very careful about how he answered was. Now he's got a library. Two years of AEW uh, streaming service does not make. But with their deal with Warner Brothers, and now how many years of wrestling that they have, you valid. You have a very valid chance of seeing maybe like HBO Max partnered with AEW for a streaming service. And that's so exciting. That would be an interesting thing, because my thought was... Um for Ring of Honor or AEW Ring of Honor, whatever they end up calling the show. Uh, I don't know that they necessarily just very easily get another TV deal because that that's not something that just comes along. You Even with great partnerships, you don't just get handed TV deals very no easily. So I was wondering if it would be something like uh, on YouTube, but another type of streaming platform of you do this and then maybe they have a pay-per-view slot every so often a couple times a year something like that mm-hmm. with a streaming service maybe you get a streaming show oh yeah you so you already kind of have proof of concept with dark and elevation right yep. if you look at it now they've been running these shows for a long time they've been very successful at introducing new talent to the crowd getting people over uh hell look at like fuego fuego is a great example of a guy who is a recognizable face in AEW, hasn't had too many, like, big matches on Dynamite or Rampage, but very clearly is recognizable because of the time and effort that they've put into him elsewhere. So, you take this proof of concept and you turn it into Ring... You turn Ring of Honor into, for lack of a better term, NXT. You now have the same concept, stream it once a week, have them maybe have an event every so often, and you are good to go. Give them a a one-hour time slot once a week. You can change their colors to black and gold. You can just (laughs) have all of these things uh, that made Ring of Honor great before NXT was great. Yeah, And have those things happen. And also, it it lends itself to, yeah, you mentioned it already, all this talent that he has now that you we know he can't bring all of these people back every single time that their deal comes up it's not sustainable so now you can turn to somebody and say all right look we don't really have a spot for you right now on dynamite and rampage but i can give you a contract to work ring of honor it will might be slightly less money but fewer dates for you you could also do an indie show if you want to because we're not exclusive like that uh you are still gonna get great exposure still get good money and you know, you don't have to travel as much because I can't imagine it's going to be a touring brand. So uh, that's a pretty good deal, especially for some of these people that might be, you know, getting on in years, like somebody more, more like a, a Christian or I, hell, they just brought back uh, Brian Cage, supposedly. They extended his contract. I don't know what we're doing from there. Uh, I'm not, I'm not super. I know, I, I'm not either, but it does turn into a thing of, if you are bringing these people back, 
but you're not really using them, then why are you bringing them back? Because I don't see Tony as the guy who's going to hoard people. Tony wants people to use people. And I don't think that he's ever really had a problem so far being like, oh, I'm just going to bring you back, extend you another contract just because I can. I mean, it's really hard to say one way or the other right now because this is the first time we've really hit that point, right? We're only now starting to see these contract extensions. So, like, he extended Brian Cage, which I don't know. I don't know what the plan is there. Uh, I know there was there were some issues with him and his wife and what they said about his role with the company and uh, things surrounding that. Uh, there's, you know, a very divisive crowd when it comes to Brian Cage. There are people who really like him. There are people who really dislike him. Uh, there are people who think that that slot that he fills is already full, right? Like, I would argue it that is. it's... I mean, it is, it, right? It because, is. Because, do you, like, do you really want to see him over, like, Keith Lee? No. No. Do you really want to see him over, like, Wardlow? No. No. Do you really want to see Hell, him... Oh, even Powerhouse Hobbs is even yeah. filling that role. Yeah, like... that's what I was going to say. That's, that's the next name I was going to go to. Do you want to see him over Hobbs? Do you want to see him over Miro? No. You don't want to see him over these guys. And, like... Uh, uh, Keith Lee is probably the best uh, one-to-one just because, you know, Brian Cage is so athletically gifted and, and, you know, he's so fast and agile for his size. So you, you have this really unique thing, but it's not unique enough that I'm ever like, man, I wish that was Brian Cage. I I don't get that feeling. And he, this is not for me, like, cause I don't, like coming on here typically and being like oh yeah i'm gonna take a shit on this guy but <laughs> i haven't missed brian cage since he was gone nope he, he was off tv and i was like oh yeah brian cage i remember oh yeah wow it's actually been months since he's been on tv and turning really didn't face, notice turning him face is a terrible idea totally totally terrible yeah. idea. monster heels need to be heels mm-hmm. but back to the point i think this is a thing where if you have guys like a Lance Archer where you build them up as a monster heel and then they challenge for a title or two and they lose because that's what they're doing. They're putting people over. Okay. Their rep is a little damaged because when monster heels start losing matches like that, they need to get some wins back. Sure. They do dark and stuff like that to build people's records and that's great, but not everybody watches that. What if they hop over and now they're a big fish in a much smaller pond in ROH for a couple months? And it doesn't have to impact the storytelling in AEW, but for people who watch everything, now all of a sudden Lance Archer is, you know, I'm not going to say he's ROH world champion, but he could have a feud or two for a couple of months and maybe beat up a couple of people in ROH and make them look good, but get some wins. One of the things I'm very interested about is seeing how much carries over. Does your like is your win loss record in AEW affected by what happens in Ring of Honor? Is I seriously not? hope not. Well, I hope not too. But at the same time, you then have to wonder about having guys work like Ring of Honor, but then also have to work like Dark and Elevation to keep their numbers up. Because you look at like I forget who it was. Was it Thunder Rosa? Who's like. 64 and whatever this year uh it, it was like a huge i think it was her right it was someone who had a, just a huge number because they were also like every other week on dark and it's like okay 
so now but now you also have them working ring of honor and that's that's a lot of matches that's a lot of days i think maybe it helps because i think those numbers that get so inflated and so large seem almost unrealistic to some people like it's okay you have 60 wins who did you beat i didn't watch any of your matches so do any of those wins really matter and that's nice whereas looking at somebody more like a, a, a cm punk or an mjf which we'll get to where it's like oh you're 10 and 0 uh and then you take one loss well it's like you're 10 and 1 that looks like a really formidable record actually of i've had 11 solid matches that you could tell me what all 11 of them are because they've all been on tv they've all been on pay-per-view and this was the one that i lost and it it's a big deal so you can do that whereas somebody else comes in and it's i mean hell that it just happened with like the ass boys where it was like they're coming in and it's like oh yeah we've won like 50 matches in a row and we're undefeated as a tag team and it's like i've never seen you in a tag match (laughs) i've hell i i've never seen you who are you and that's something that i think they might be able to you know mitigate a little bit with this of if you're sending somebody off to roh well maybe they're not on dark all the time anymore and if that's the case maybe the numbers don't go up as fast that's fair that that makes a lot of sense okay so i think we need to start getting to the the main portion of our episode tonight which is going to be yes please. the main event well not the main event but our our main event i guess so revolution revolution was an interesting card if you ask people what their favorite match was i have noticed you get an incredibly varied response which is so exciting revolution had something for everyone which was great and it was in a lot of ways also a love song to indie wrestling fans which is awesome uh, so first up, starting with the buy-in, we had Layla Hirsch. First up, starting with the buy-in, we had Layla Hirsch versus Chris Statlander. Uh, one thing I will say that I really liked about this match is Layla felt like a very classic aggress- aggressive submission specialist. It wasn't about locking in the armbar and winning with the armbar. It was about a war of attrition. Keep working the arm. Go back to the arm bar. Attack. Get it over and over and over again. And it's something you saw a lot in the late 90s and the early 2000s with certain really aggressive submission wrestlers where it's like, it's my finisher, sure, but it's not, you know, the finish. It's what I will eventually beat you with by wearing you down with it over and over again. And I really like that they're taking her in that direction as she has turned heel. Uh, Unfortunately, I did have a lot of a problem with how that match ended. Hirsch is supposed to feel like a really legit fighter, and she's been positioned up until now as though she's a legit fighter. And having her have to pop out the like extra turnbuckle and cheat to win, it, it really cheapens something that she didn't need to cheapen. Uh, Statlander would have been fine taking a clean loss here, especially to someone who looks the way Hirsch has been looking lately. There was no real downside, in my opinion. I agree. I I worry for Statlander. I think I've said that for a couple weeks now. Of like, I don't get where they're going with her, and this 
feels like Hirsch is on to bigger and better things, which is good because man, is she talented and man, do I want to see more. And uh, I think she has what a number one contendership match lined up against someone that I'm forgetting who. Yeah. Um, it's her and Thunder Rosa. Oh, okay. Okay, cool. So even taking the loss to Thunder Rosa, it's all right. That That's fine. It's still, you got a match with Thunder Rosa. It's a number one contender match next time. Maybe you win that match. Awesome. Yeah. That, no problem. But this was a match match for Hirsch, whereas Statlander felt so off to me in this whole feud. We've had the promo things and everything. And, and I like her. I like her. I think she's so talented. She's a, a star in the making, I think. It just, it makes me feel like they're not working on making her. And I wonder why. And I hope she's not just like falling into a pattern of, you're the other woman who is feuding with the person that this is about. I think that right now the problem that they're facing is you have both Jade Cargill and Britt Baker as your your top people, and you're actively building this huge amount of legitimacy for both of them because they're these homegrown talents and they really want them to feel like staples of the division and sort of like the corner posts of the division. And what ends up happening is you have a couple of faces who will inevitably end up feeling like they're being left behind. And Chris Statlander is one of them in this case where um, you can't have her always going over. You're doing this thing right now where you want to make Layla Hirsch a legitimate heel. So she needs to win and that's fine. But much to your point, you know, Statlander needs something that's hers, but it can't be a title right now. It might be in the future. It's very likely she's the one who eventually beats Jade, but that's not happening now. That's not happening in the immediate future. Uh, if we assume, <clears throat> spoiler alert for later in the night, if we assume that Rosa Baker 3 happens where where we think it's going to happen, right? And she gets her moment in front of like the home crowd and she wins the championship there. It's a pretty good uh, indicator that we're not seeing Jade lose the title anytime in the immediate future either, which again kind of leaves Statlander high and dry. The best we can hope for is maybe a post-title loss feud with Brit, but I'm expecting the Brit face turn in after not too long also with the, the whole Jamie Hayter build, which I also kind of have a problem with happening so soon after doing the exact same storyline with MJF and Wardlow, but whatever, uh, because it ends hopefully differently. Yeah, yeah, I definitely should end differently. and. Same thing, like uh, Jade Cargill should not be losing that title anytime soon. She has a lot of work to do, a lot of growth still, which we'll touch on more as we're going. Not to mention, when she does lose it, it's going to be her first loss, uh -huh. presumably if it's a title match. So, And Jade, you know, yeah, we'll come back to Jade. Yeah. We'll, we'll yeah. get there. Uh, so good for Hirsch winning. I'm, I'm a fan of her winning. I had her penciled in as a winner, yeah. as she should have. I just, I hope statlander finds some direction that's what i have to say for that hook beat qt marshall i don't Yay. know if there's much else to say about that it was, uh, it was the, the most first... like wrestling yeah. match that hooks ever had exactly Looked it wasn't just a complete squash he had mm -hmm. to sell a little bit yeah but then he just 
wrecks him as he's supposed to. Yeah, yeah. Looked good, felt better. Uh, Hook so far is doing Hook things. And as, because, you know, he's related, I do also love that we're getting this feud with Taz and Orange Cassidy over the color orange. Yes. That's perfect. It's wonderful. Mr. Orange Jones over here. Yes. All right. Uh, And then we have a match that it blows my mind is a is a pre-show match the main event of this rampage before the <laughs> pay-per-view yep that's exactly what it was Ooh. house of black versus two thirds of death death triangle and eric redbeard very exciting it's great to death see death line death line <laughs> death segment that segment yeah <laughs> and yeah redbeard and he looked good he looked really good yeah and uh, clearly he's brought in to take the fall right like yeah. that's what this is this is building to phoenix comes back you get the actual three on three maybe the heels still go over doesn't really matter that's fine you figure out where you're going cool he looked good yeah. this match was good yeah i enjoyed this match a lot i'm like you shocked that this was not on the main card i understand why yeah i don't know what i what you would cut for (laughs) yeah because we've talked about it it's like well what do you swap like you can't swap any of the singles matches you're not swapping one of the women's matches which would be uh jade and and tay um actually it's so so it's funny i'm gonna interject for one second one of the things that I've seen, so I'm on Reddit a lot. One of the things I've seen on Reddit was some people are like, it doesn't make sense that we're doing Rosa Baker again so soon after Revolution. Right? So th- there are people who are saying that what they would have liked to see was, and it's an interesting thought. I, I disagree with this, but I understand where they're coming from. It would have been an interesting thought for Rosa to challenge her for Revolution and Baker to be like, no, I'm not going to do that. I'm going to wait till we're in your hometown and then I'm going to beat you there. And it's like, okay, fine. And that would have opened up the slot for this match to be on the card. It's the only yeah. place I really see it being something that could have been done. Uh, you do run into the problem of only having the one women's match on the card then, which, you know, is not yeah. great. You also don't get to show off the new women's championship, which... Oh, thank fuck for that. I am so grateful. They gotta keep going. They keep going in the right (laughs) direction with this. Uh, It was silver, they made it gold. Now it went from gold to like actually being bigger and looking like a real championship instead of an inflated ring. Yeah, I was gonna say, it used to just, every time I looked at it, I would think back to those machines from when like we were kids where you put the penny in and then you turn the crank and it flattens out the penny. So every every time I saw that belt, that's what I thought of. Exactly. Every single time. And they just keep going in the right direction. One day, whatever this belt becomes is going to be the best looking title in all of professional wrestling because they just keep going in the right direction. I know we disagree on this, but I actually like it a lot. It's not my favorite belt, but I like it a lot. As I like now. it too. I, I do. It just they keep go- if they keep going, it's going to be better. <laughs> just bit by bit. Just keep upgrading it. Exactly. Back to back to the match we were talking about. It was a good match. Everything that needed to happen happened. Um, Eric Redbeard ends up getting sprayed in the face. 
The only thing, and I mentioned this to you, it felt a little weird. Redbeard's the easy out, right? But you have the House of Black, who just got a new member, hasn't had a particularly successful like win-loss record, and you know they're kind of insulated against it because their whole thing isn't so much about winning the match. They, they just want to accomplish their mission, which is fine. There's nothing wrong with that. But then you also have Pentagon, who just went through this, like, colossal change and is now, you know, Penta Oscuro and is, is this just dark figure. And uh, Abrahantes comes out with the, like, face paint and the hood and the shovels. And it's supposed to be this whole thing. And it's like, okay, so now who loses the guy with the new gimmick? Or the guy who just added someone to his, his like, faction. And that's a little hard. I I think they took the right, you know, the right out here. Redbeard's the safe one. And I wonder if the Mist is a precursor to a fourth member of the House of Black. But we also haven't gotten an All Elite uh, uh, announcement for Redbeard. So I we don't know what the deal is with that. This is only his second appearance, right? Yes. The first was on the, the Brody tribute show, and now this, right? Yeah. Okay. Just making sure I'm not forgetting one. So, yeah, I, this is possibly just a, a one-off. Like, they just brought him in for a night, and that's cool. It's cool. Yeah. But uh, if he if this was, like, a, a trial period thing, and they wanted to see, like, well, how does he look in the ring? He looked damn good. Yeah, he did. Damn good. You know, I, I know people in WWE weren't always like when he was in WWE, like always looked at him as like the weak link of the Wyatts and he was the one that nobody really cared about and all of that. And then he got saddled with some crap after that. But um, yeah, I, I, I like that he looked as good as he did. He looked like he clearly improved yeah. as a wrestler over time. And that's something you always like seeing. Absolutely. Okay. That match was also 17 minutes long. Yeah. Yeah. Wow. Okay. So then we move on. And can I just say that as we're doing this, uh, I know that we both had some issues with the order of the card for the like main card. But I feel like the first two matches were exactly how you wanted to open the show. Agreed. Completely. Yes. Wow. Uh... So our first match of the night, Eddie Kingston versus Chris Jericho. Man, that was not the kind of match I expected. I'm so much happier with it than than what I was I thought we were gonna get. I think I said to you, this is the first time I've really cared about a Chris Jericho match since the last time that I cared about a Chris Jericho match, and I can't remember exactly when that was. Uh maybe it, maybe Mox Jericho? not even really like that was something where i was like please let's let's have moxley win and fair just get past this i'm i'm somebody who i think i've been vocal on here before of like i'm kind of over chris jericho i i have been for a while he's somebody that i was a huge fan of as a kid back in 2000 2001 and i was like jericho is so cool and he talks so much trash and everything but i think wwe for a long time in the mid 2000s kind of like neutered him to me a little bit like he was this guy that always challenged and always lost even as a heel even as a baby face it just didn't matter I was always happy with like mid-card Jericho but then main event Jericho there always seemed to be something a little off with him to me anyway 
And then he had a great run in like, I want to say like 2008 as a heel, like feuding with like Shawn Michaels and stuff. That kind of brought it back a little bit for me. And then in the mid 2010s, he had like some spots here and there that brought him back for me. But once he left WWE, it again, it just turned into, this is Chris Jericho reinventing himself. And I wasn't always watching because I'd fallen off from wrestling in so many different times. So him in the inner circle, and I like some of the members in the inner circle. I don't care about others. And much like what you said so many times, Chris Jericho makes so much stuff about himself. And now in this phase of his life and his career, when he does seem to be like, I don't know, living the gimmick a little too much uh, in too many different ways. I'm like, eh, dude, I'm, I'm in this for who's next, not let's run back the clock. This was one where he ran back the clock and it was good. He, he's gotten in much better shape in the last six months, let's say. He slimmed down a bit. He looks good. Yeah, since the, the hospital's here. Okay, there you go. Like, you could date it better than I can, but he looks good. Yeah. And compared to go watch year one AEW. And, uh, you know, he looked pretty bloated then. Now he looks lean. He looks in shape. He's moving uh, quicker. He's, he's yes. sharper. He's more crisp. Yeah. And Eddie, you know, you could knock Eddie for not being in shape or whatever, but Eddie is so good at what he does. He knows what he can do and he does it well. It might be the loudest chop I've ever heard in a wrestling match in that match. Man, the way Eddie peppered him is crazy. The The way Jericho's chest looked, not even at the end, just like two or three minutes in, wild. Uh, before we go further into this match, though, I do want to talk about what you just brought up with Chris Jericho. Uh, and I think I've mentioned this to you before. I don't think, know if I've said it on here, where I feel like Jericho Jericho is really good at inventing, reinventing himself. And, you know, I, I also had my own little, like, lull with Jericho. He did the, like, sociopath thing back, back like like you said, back in, like, 08, 09. You know, he goes to the trunks and he starts talking slower and more pointedly and actively using larger words and is trying to play on certain tropes and concepts. And he did it really well, but it, it didn't fit the way that they wanted it to fit in the main event scene at the time, which is true. And I kind of fell back in love with Chris Jericho when we got to the list, right? Because it's impossible not to, you know, from, exactly. from like Jim, Jim and Marvin Luter to um, why is my name on this list, whatever. And he's been reinventing himself since then. He's been doing a really good job with like the pain maker thing and then doing the inner circle and originally being just like, I'm Chris Jericho, uh, and and these are my these are my my wrestle babies, and then doing the like biker thing and whatever, and it's worked really well for him. But I also have kind of been over Chris Jericho lately, and as he's been like reinventing himself here into the the influencer, where we kind of get the payoff to everything the inner circle has been up until now, where it's you know all been about him, all been about him, and we're seeing him sort of lose the lead here and just become that same asshole he was. I wonder if he just can't do it again. 
I I wonder if he can't reinvent himself in a way that will make the audience care about him even after this match. This was a great match, and Jericho looked a lot better in this match and, and you know, leading up to it. But at the same time, I, I still don't care what's next for him. I don't. Like, and I don't know if it's different for you, but for me, I, I'm not invested in what's next for Chris Jericho. You Okay, so he lost to Eddie Kingston, and I'm so goddamn happy for Eddie Kingston. So goddamn proud of, of everything he's accomplished and every, all the work he's put in and how much faith this company has in him. And I'm like, I, we've talked about this. I, I'm ride or die for Eddie Kingston. I will be for life. But I don't really care about what's next for Jericho. Yeah, it's it's the same thing as the first match that we talked about. Now, now we're the first match on the, the main card of this was a match about Eddie Kingston and I cared about Eddie Kingston the same way I care about Layla Hirsch. I care about Statlander way more than I care about Chris Jericho. Jericho is somebody that I do think they are going to have more direction for him because he's Chris Jericho and the not taking the handshake at the end of the match is kind of a deliberate, I don't know if they're running it back. I don't know if he's going to, you know, keep going after Kingston or something, or if he's off to something new and, and that's fine but I'm not looking forward to it. I, I, but this match did win me over to a degree of, I'm not looking forward to it, but I'll be willing to watch it with more anticipation when it comes. Whereas before I was kind of like, eh, inner circle versus somebody like, Oh, it's Chris Jericho. Okay. I, I don't care. And, and like, let's get to the, like Chris Jericho, orange Cassidy. Like I didn't care does nothing for me doesn't move the needle at all this is something where i'm like well eddie kingston's involved so i care and this isn't just chris jericho goes over eddie kingston because chris jericho is a bigger star than eddie kingston no this is a, a moment for eddie kingston this is a match for eddie kingston and much like what you just said like i don't necessarily care we get newer heel chris jericho where he's more blatantly an asshole i guess but we'll see we'll see yeah, uh, you know, he surprised us in the past, so who knows? Not only did Eddie beat him, Eddie made him tap. Yep, that's yep, big deal. Huge. Eddie Kingston, it is 2022, and Eddie Kingston made Chris Jericho submit in a singles match clean, and that's fucking cool. Okay, so moving on, then we had the three way tag team match. With uh, the Young Bucks, Red Dragon, and Jurassic Express. Again, I feel like this match was exactly where it should have been. Uh, you know, we started with a match that was really hard-hitting. It, it very much felt like the King's Road match. They beat the shit out of each other. They, they knew exactly what and where and how and why they wanted to do the things they wanted to do. And they, they did them to each other, man. And it, it was just the will. You know, you can say all you want about, like, predictable I, I feel like this card was fairly predictable but predictable isn't bad this is a match that the champions needed to win and they won and i like that it had kind of a, a two-act structure to it of the first part was a four-on-two match kind of of you know you got the four heels it's two teams okay whatever 
just saying, all right, truce, beat up the good guys, and then one of us wins. And then you get to that moment where the heel teams, you get Red Dragon and the Young Bucks actually start hitting each other and going at each other because we know that that match is coming eventually. And I didn't expect to get too much of it here because you want to save it. So I think I said to you as we're watching, I'm like, this match could be like one of the best matches maybe ever, like maybe one of the best tag matches I've ever seen. I just don't think they're going to give it like the next 20 minutes to get there because they're going to save something for another match that's coming later. And they did, but they still went further than I thought they would. And I respect them for that. I remember, I, I don't know if it was the last episode or a couple episodes ago for us, um, where I was like, they don't do uh, triple threat matches almost ever. I think this maybe is the first one they've done for tag teams. If, if it is, it's probably the first one for a championship. And again, if it's not, then it's one of the first, like first handful. And this is how you make those types of matches work, where you have a story built into why all three teams are there. And they played with it. They played with the dy- dynamics, you know, in each direction of the champions trying to retain. You have the Young Bucks who are a very known quantity and former champions. You have Red Dragon who are possibly the next champions. We don't know yet. And uh, I mean, I wouldn't be surprised, but oof, man, it, they're all so, so good. And I, I'm always going to do this because people love to, uh, obviously the Young Bucks get a lot of love. They get a lot of hate too, but a lot of love. Um, Luchasaurus got a lot of love in this match, which was good. Um, I, I feel like Bobby Fish doesn't get enough love. And I just want to say I'm a fan of Bobby Fish. I love Bobby Fish. Bobby Fish doesn't get a lot of love, I think. Because of the amount of time that he spent injured on, like, NXT, right? So he's he's kind of the forgotten piece of Undisputed Era, where, you know, a lot of the time it ended up being, like, Kyle and Roddy being the tag team, and Bobby Fish wasn't around. But yeah, no, Bobby Fish is my favorite member of that group, except for, obviously, Adam Cole. Fair. Yeah. See, for me, it's that... Like I didn't know any of them really coming into it as much because I didn't follow the indies like that. Sure. And I think a big part of it is that O'Reilly and Cole had like big moments uh, as like singles guys before NXT. And I, I think Fish like his biggest moments were kind of like as Red Dragon. Uh, so he, yeah, like... I mean he had he had um I'm pretty sure he faced uh, Cole for the Ring of Honor World Championship one. But that's like reaching deep into the. Exactly. And I think he's also the oldest of the group, too. Yeah. So uh, it, it's fine. Like, I, nothing to disparage against age or anything. But like Bobby Fish carries himself incredibly well in a wrestling ring. His, I'll uh, throw out the word, fundamentals are so crisp and so sound. It's just he's the guy that does bulk work, whereas O'Reilly is a guy that does a little more like flash and flair to what he does yeah and that's normal for tag teams like you're always going to have a uh you know when you've got a hitman you've got an anvil and it's like okay the hitman does all these things that everybody remembers but anvil's role is really important too Mm -hmm. so uh, just showing some love to bobby fish yeah 
Uh, the other thing that I will say about this match, because like you summed it up pretty well, Luchasaurus in this match, I think, has shown so much more improvement and has really uh, given me hope. Because there was a long time after he came back from injury where his work was not ideal and it felt very much like Jungle Boy was sort of carrying the team uh, where he'd like he'd hit his spots uh, 80% of the time they'd go over, but they wouldn't be super like clean. And the other 20%, they were pretty fucking ugly. And other than that, there wasn't much that he would do or be able to do well. But he looked really good uh, that night. He looked really good in that match. He he looked like a powerful threat the entire way through. He was imposing. He controlled his space. He controlled the opponents really well. He felt like the way that you expect a guy who looks like him to feel. He looked like he deserves to be one half of the AEW World Tag Team Champions. Exactly. Which and, is great. Yeah, but Jungle Boy has always looked like that now. Oh, right? like, yeah, yeah, yeah. He's somebody that came into this like, okay, put a belt on him because he's going to be a star. Yep. Luchasaurus was the one of like, oh, you do what you do. Yeah. But now we can say like, much like uh, Redbeard before, you do what you do really well. Mm-hmm. And I think putting Jungle Boy in there with the people that he was in there with really allowed him the opportunity to shine. Like, we don't have to sit here and sing Jungle Boy's praises. We've done it before. We'll do it again. It's very, very apparent what he he is and what he will be. But pairing him up with the Young Bucks and Red Dragon really let that stand out. But moving forward, here's the spot where I think they should have flipped a couple matches around. Mm -hmm. Because you go from big match with a whole bunch of people in it to big match with a whole bunch of people in it. And I think that's the one where they could have flipped something. You not just that, but even worse, it's big match with a lot of people in it that worked at such a fast pace and had so much storytelling going on to the car wreck match, right? Because that's what these ladder matches always are. Is they're just one big sh- to use to use an insider term, they're one big schmaz, right? They're just this this chaos mayhem that happens, pun intended, and it's really hard to invest in that after the match that we just had, which also came after another fairly emotional match because, you know, watching Eddie Kingston work his way up is also pretty, pretty big. Yeah, also, you, you know, I'm jumping to the end here, but you kind of get, like, three big beats of baby faces winning. Mm-hmm. Uh, I'm counting Wardlow as a baby face because he's a baby face in everything but name. Yeah. And... Uh, you know, you you get to that. Well, point, I mean, at this like, point, he's he's just a baby face, right? Like he's a baby face that works for a heel, and sure, you know. So, and he's part of a heel stable, but he's the guy who's going to turn. So, and he almost did, you know, a, almost. He, I mean, he, he like a little he nudge. Did. No, I mean, he definitely did. It's hard to not call that a turn. Yeah, that that's fair. I, I think we could go like semantics over like is the turn when he punches MJF or says something to MJF or is the turn not helping MJF? Okay, like, that's that's a yeah. fair that's a fair like line to, to debate. But we'll be here for he, hours. He's either over that. the line or he's on, on it. it. Like, yeah, <laughs> yeah, he's right there. Like all he's got to do is step forward. But yeah, so 
I think the the argument that you could make for having the matches back to back is that this one was a lot more like big man dominated, whereas the one before was a lot more like smaller athletes running around doing flips. But even in this, you still have like Ricky Starks, Orange Cassidy, Christian, you know, they're, they're still flying all over the place. So it was also a really good opportunity to see where Keith Lee was, because that's something that we haven't really gotten to do yet. I think we got a better idea of it here. I think it's safe to say he's he's got a little bit of work to do, yep. uh, which is, yep. you know, not all that surprising. I, I It doesn't change any of the things, in my opinion, that we've said about him up until now. Uh, but I, I think he definitely has a little bit of work to do to get himself back where he needs to be. Yeah, I think, and it's it's hard to track because everything is like weird in the world of professional wrestling, but he came in, I think, weighing at like 348. And that's uh, it's pretty heavy. And I think, you know, and there's guys that have weighed like 400 pounds and can do stuff. Maybe not what Keith Lee does, but uh, you you look and I think looking back at NXT, he was closer like 325. So he's up, you know, and I know he's had a lot of stuff going on. He's inactive for a long period of time, a lot of health issues. Uh, hopefully he's as recovered as possible, but you can't go and just run around and do everything you're going to do uh you know imagine the stress levels that it's you're going to be under not to mention you just got married and as nice as that can be planning a wedding during a pandemic has to be crazy stressful so uh, i think this is something where it's like just give him time oh absolutely yeah he's probably like in the 80 to 90 percent keith lee range and probably put him closer to 80 okay yeah, that's fair. I was going to say 70 to 80, but I'm like, I don't want to be that harsh. I think that it's the one piece of information we don't really have that, you know, is none of our business, but is relevant for what we're discussing here is the kind of shape his lungs are in, right? Is he in the shape he's in now because he's been inactive and has to had to deal with everything else? Or is he in the shape he's in now because like long COVID or whatever it is has really impacted his lungs to the point where he's limited in what he can do outside of the ring. And as such is more limited than what he can do in the ring. Yeah. If the cardio is down, then, you know, it makes it harder to drop weight, all that stuff. And, and, you know, he's a big guy. He's got a big frame. I, you know, I'm not here disparaging anybody for anything like, you know, dude is still so talented. It's ridiculous. But uh, I, we know what he can do at 100%, and we don't know why he's not at 100%. So, yeah. For other people in the match, though, like, you have him, you have Hobbs, and you have Wardlow. And we're going to talk about Wardlow more. So just talking about Hobbs, I think Hobbs also had a very good showing in this match, except for one specific point where uh, I think it's Orange Cassidy is doing the airplane spin with the ladder, and... He, he and Hobbs and Stark, I almost said Hobbs and Shaw, uh, <laughs> Hobbs and Starks, he, Starks is like, oh no, save my teammate, and pushes Hobbs out of the way, gets hit by the ladder, and Hobbs is like, oh, thanks, and then walks right back into the path of the ladder anyway and gets hit and goes down. I'm like, dude, really? Makes you look very dumb. Well, they didn't acquire Powerhouse Hobbs for his brain. As you may had not have noticed. Powerhouse Hobbs is named Powerhouse for his physical abilities, 
not his mental one. Uh, this is our, our new segment of explaining the gimmick <laughs> Drake. Got but you. yeah, I think I think Hobbs had a very good showing. They had some cool creative spots with the ladder that I haven't really seen before, which is great because damn, there's like a friggin' influx of ladder matches recently of just everybody's having a ladder match. So uh yeah, having like spots with Orange Cassidy, like you know, skinning the cat back onto the ladder to stand up when two people are holding it to like yep. grab the ring and all that stuff. That, that's great. That's creative. Uh, I wonder who helped lay out this match. Yeah, yeah. I, I, I mean, so my my immediate guess would be like Jerry Lynn, right? It it felt very much like a Jerry Lynn match, uh, to me, with just the way that the way the pacing was. We also had a random Dan House inciting, which is always nice. Yeah, I was gonna get to that, and so I was torn between Starks and Wardlow as my pick to win. Sure. And then as soon as uh, Dan Housen comes out and curses Starks, I was like, oh no, you're screwed. Yeah, can't win now. Well, so far, I think, right? Dan Housen's been perfect. Yeah. yeah. Cursing people and they lose. Yeah. He curses you and you lose. That's how it works. Wonderful. Best use for Dan Housen. Yeah, 100%. Um, They also... I don't know what spot it was, but suppose but there's a talk that Orange Cassidy got hurt at Ooh. one point. I don't like I said, I don't know what spot it was. I was worried about Ricky Starks with that finish. Uh where where yeah. man with the power bomb. It it was so awkward and props to Ricky because it sounds like he managed to like get himself positioned so he didn't get hurt. But what an unfortunate, awkward finish to that match. Yeah, he it like he came up short on the fall, it looked like, of just like, you know, the Wardlow misjudge where the ground is. <laughs> well, so I don't... he hit too high up. Yeah. I, you know, I, like, I... It, it hit his neck instead of his back. Yeah, I also think there was a problem with, like, Wardlow's positioning because I don't think he had full control of... of uh, I, like, I'll have to watch the clip again. But it didn't look to me like he had full control of Ricky. So Ricky just started kind of like going over and Wardlow had to like commit to it because you can't not, right? Uh, and that, that probably led to part of why that happened. But Ricky Starks, you know, he, he's he's very talented. He knows what he's doing. I would hate to see him get injured again. Uh, but yeah, love, love him. Love him. Glad he's okay. I need... I need them to either turn the thing into an actual brass ring or stop fucking doing it because you don't love giant donuts in the sky where is sonic when you need him we didn't get one sonic commercial and it's it's like right there guys i hate it so much aw grab the brass ring and you just have sonic like run in yeah like i don't mind at all I don't mind at all if they want to do the brass ring thing. I respect it. Half of this company is taking jabs at WWE. That's fine. But but do better than that. <laughs> it's ugly. It's ugly and it looks like a it looks like a, a butt cushion. Exactly. Or like a little pool floaty. Something ridiculous like that where it's just yeah, like you, you put your chihuahua in it. it. <laughs> Perfect. But so Wardlow wins. We get the the winner. They pulled the trigger, right? Yeah. This is the thing where Wardlow finally won something. So how is this going to go? 
you say finally like he's not un well he's not undefeated he lost to punk but like that's not his only loss no it's that's fair i'm just saying like it's something where you know you're burning this thing with him and mjf and now it's a thing where it's very apparent they are yeah. putting him on tv he's doing the powerbomb symphony and you have mjf actually taking digs at him almost every chance he gets yep. this isn't a thing where he just lets one slip in every couple of months anymore this is every week the wedge is further being driven between these two so it was just a matter of when because it's going to be a matter of like when wardlow does something and now wardlow did something twice in one night yeah and while i'm really really excited for it because i think wardlow is ready and they have like a made man with wardlow I'm also kind of disappointed. We haven't really seen much from the pinnacle, really, which is kind of a shame. They just haven't really made their mark anywhere. And the places where they have, it hasn't felt like they're a cohesive unit so much as FTR exists and sometimes shares our locker room. Sean Spears is Wardlow's manager when Wardlow's not busy being MJF's meat man. And that's kind of... Oh, and, and Tully, I guess, is there for all of them. And that's kind of the long and short of the pinnacle. And I was really excited for it because I love all of these guys, right? I'm, I'm a huge FTR mark. Uh, MJF is, you know, it's impossible not to, not to love MJF. Uh, Wardlow is a guy who I've been pretty high on for a while and... Sean Spears and that chair have the best love story in wrestling history, man. So they really do. They do. It's beautiful. I hope really that do. in 30 years, my partner looks at me the way Sean Spears looks at his chair. I really do. It's, it's something else, man. Most people don't get lucky enough to get that in their lifetime. But I agree with you though, because you know, obviously they're doing the, the four man group. Right. And that's, I'm, I'm not counting Tully for this because he's not, actively wrestling but you had that multiple times before like obviously you know like uh, four horsemen revival is like one one person well because you got oh yeah yeah the revival you know who i i actually just left out spears again in my head (laughs) (laughs) you gotta have a fall guy you yeah, gotta have exactly, a fall guy. Exactly. But but you look back and you see like the groups, you have like the four horsemen, you had like evolution, things like that. And obviously, you know, we, we don't need to go over like the success rates, but evolution, even for a short-lived group, had that night of just all of them walking out champion. So all the gold in one stable. And it feels like if the wardlow turn is fully happening and the group is gonna break up. Unless something like glues them back together really soon, which could happen to like draw this out even further, then you like the pinnacle is not the pinnacle anymore, or it's it's just a four man group. Actually, let's do the math right. Um, we can count the chair maybe officially as the fifth. I don't know, <laughs> but you you do that, and then did they ever even win anything? Not really, and that's kind of sad for the level of talent that's together and sure mjf is gonna like spin it off and just be like i was better than this group to begin with so i didn't need them blah 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 all that stuff you know ftr can go win the tag titles again they'll be fine spears will have his chair to go home to 
and his actual wife who can i don't know help him polish it or something honey i'm home is dinner ready the chair and i are hungry (laughs) yeah it's it's weird um it feels like one of those things where where they had like the best of intentions but not enough plans where you know we knew i think they knew where mjf was gonna go with with obvious changes like as we confirmed cm punk and whatever else but they knew the basic trajectory for mjf uh they brought an ftr and we're like, okay, well, we have them booked up until they lose the titles to the Young Bucks. And then it feels like after that, they just had no idea what, what to do with them. Um, and then, you know, uh, Cash got hurt, and that was a thing, and there was a lot of concern. And not to be, you know, really cold, but you can't you can't pause your booking because a guy might have to retire. So it makes sense that there's, like, not a space for them right now, but there needs to be one because part of the problem is they've created this idea where the factions don't have to always be working together, which is fine. But then you have FTR like being loaned out to Andrade three, four, five times in a row. And so it starts to be a thing where you see them more with Andrade than you see them with MJF. And that's a problem. And they're not really being successful when they're, you know, with MJF. So that's a problem. And you don't have enough value in keeping them together just from, from your perception, right? Uh, Evolution's a great example of the opposite where I forget how short-lived that group was sometimes. It's crazy how short the period that those four people were together was when you think about it and when you look back on it, having like lived through it because they did so much and the pinnacle feels like it just started. It feels like it just started. They've had the thing with uh, the inner circle and they, they, I'm pretty much done. Right. Like the pinnacle, it's true. They had the big feud with the inner circle and then they've just kind of been doing their own things and having segments together. It's kind of disappointing. Very disappointing for me. Yeah. No, again, like I'm fans of all these people too. Like FTR is one of the best tag teams in professional wrestling history. The best. Sure. Sure. I'm not going to fight you on that. That's great. MJF is going to be a legend one day of just what he's accomplished. I don't know what the ceiling is on Wardlow. Sean Spears. And like, you know, and then you have Tully on the side too. And it's just like, you, you put all that together. It's like, this group is great. But I don't know. It's like an all-star team that just didn't win. Yeah. Or even really compete. Exactly. Exactly. Like they, they showed up and were just like, we're great. Bye. Bye. Yeah, exactly. That's exactly how it feels. And I wonder if maybe with when Wardlow leaves, that changes. But I, I don't know. Maybe. I don't know. Feels like I, I, I wonder. Yeah, I also, I because, like, obviously you're going to get, like, the Wardlow versus Spears match where he'll destroy Sean Spears, and that that's cool. And then, you know, that'll, that'll probably be lead to MJF. But I, I also worry, it's like, do you get the handicap match of, like, Wardlow versus FTR? And then, like, does he beat FTR? And I'm, I, I'm concerned for that because then, like, that seems like it damages too many people either way. Mm-hmm. And well, well, because it 
unfortunately, it feels very much sort of on brand for the way that they've created MJF and the character he is and the way he harkens back to the really classic heel. Yeah, so that is kind of a thing that I expect as well is the like the handicap match specifically where it's like, okay, well, FTR haven't done enough to really cement themselves here. And I would argue have even kind of been almost a joke team sometimes with the like uh, stupid Super Rana's thing that I cannot get over. Uh, and and so it it's weird to think about what happens after that if that is what what they do. Uh, I mean the safe way out of that is to have have it set up that way and then uh. Just have, like, Sean Spears and MJF jump Wardlow in the middle of the match. Right? Like, that's that's possible. the way and out I of mean, it. Like, this is all, great either. This is all speculation because we don't know. But, you know, uh, like, to make the long story short, like, I also just want to throw out one more thing for FTR. Like, they both have done episodes with um, on Renee's podcast that I think are definitely worth checking out. Uh, they seem like awesome guys, and I wish them the best. Agreed. Uh, and fuck good Shawn Michaels. Yeah, yeah, that was disappointing. Eh, not unexpected. Least. Yeah, yeah. But, but Unfortunately. Yeah. yeah. Uh, but yeah, I definitely co-sign that. Definitely check those episodes out. Not only are they both great human beings, but they're so well spoken and they're so good at sharing their points of view and comprehension of things. And it's, it's really fantastic to, to, to listen to. Okay. So moving on to our next match is the TBS championship. That Jade Cargill show uh, with uh, Jade Cargill and, and Ty Conti. So I will hold to my statement that, if Ty Conti is not a champion in the next couple of years, they have made a mistake. This match did not support that statement. Um, it, it was a pretty sloppy match. I don't think they were ready to, to work the ring together yet. They are still relatively green and didn't know how to work psychology into their match to create a pace or to, to create good-looking or even just cohesive transitions. Uh, there was too much empty space between stuff. There was clear confusion in the ring. Ty Conti is someone who is kind of all fundamentals right now. She has these, these skills that she brings in from MMA background, stuff like that, and can execute them really well. And Jade is someone who is, she's kind of like a spot machine right now. Of she can do these like freakishly powerful things, and throw her opponents around. But much like Hook, she hasn't really had to do much beyond that yet. And her longest matches are against people with way more experience than her, like a uh, Thunder Rosa or someone like that, who can carry a long match. And this was the one of you can do the basic things really well mixed with you can do the big 
power spots really well. But all of the middle is not there. Like you can do the punching and kicking and like a couple of other things and you can do the big power moves. But then like when it comes to how do we go from one spot to the next, much as you just said, these two do not have that down yet. And it showed like it. I don't want to be like, oh, it was the worst match of the night. I sure fine. But, you know, it's I don't know what people were expecting from this necessarily. And I don't want to say like, oh, your expectations should have been lower because these two clearly can get there and have shown major improvement in their time in AEW. But together, they don't have that chemistry. I expected more. I think that uh, for me, at least, because I can't obviously I can't speak for everyone, but for me, it it was. I think I I just got worked a bit. Right, you saw them both in the ring for a while with, like you said, people who are very knowledgeable, very good at doing the things they do, and you've seen a lot of their best features on display. Uh, we we saw a little bit of, of a miss with, like, Jade and Thunder Rosa, which we talked about a little bit. But other than that, both of these women have looked very, very solid against almost everyone they've faced. So, for me, it was one of these things where I expected them to have this down pat a little bit more, even if they're not, you know, either of them a veteran by any means. You're surrounded by such a knowledgeable locker room and you have access to some really good agents backstage where I figured there would have been more work put in before the match to find those gaps and then close them, but it doesn't seem like that was the case. And this is something where I think I want to see someone uh, like, like a Ty Conti versus a Serena Deeb I think is something where you have all of that experience in Serena Deeb and she can carry a match with, you know, a broomstick and put Ty Conti out there with her, have a couple of matches, let her learn, let her learn that flow. You know, even if it's just five minutes here, five minutes there, like, I think you can do that. And then have Jade face someone like um, a Mercedes Martinez, someone else who has, so much experience can work with someone who has like the power game. And again, like they can carry you in a match spot to spot because they know how the flow is supposed to be. They can read a crowd, adapt on the fly. They have 20 years in the ring. They know what they're doing. And again, have her learn. Clearly we've seen both of them learn so much over a short period of time they can't be like going backstage after that match and being like, yeah, we just burned the house down out there. Like, no, they know that they were like one, they're in a dead spot after three consecutive matches that just gas the crowd. And then you have to like, you go out there and you're like kind of floundering around at some points in time because you're like, wait, what comes next? You know, you know, let it be a learning experience. Yeah, absolutely. And you know, again, it, it in some ways is kind of a benefit in that we had to have a break at some point. <laughs> yeah, yeah. It was this just this not is the match that I I would have flipped this with the ladder match. Yeah, same. Yeah, and 
although like with what comes next like it's what three more matches in a row of just oof yeah and i mean technically from the rest of the rest of the night is oof yeah just in which way right (laughs) what are we oofing okay so uh moving on next up is the longest match on the card yeah, 26 oh, wow. oh, minutes, yeah, okay, yeah. 45 yeah, right. seconds. CM Punk and MJF in a dog collar. Okay, so I have zero shame in admitting how hard I marked out for that CM Punk entrance. Holy moly. I was stunned into silence and there was like at least one tear from from oh man what a what a what a beautiful moment what an absolutely perfect moment it, and with everything this week right of you know the the acquisition of ring of honor and the library and all of that history, the uh, the the back to back promos with with Punk and MJF of MJF cutting the promo of his life, oh, man. and the the proof that if he ever needs to, he can be a babyface, and and then Punk with with the beat down and everything afterward, leaving Punk a bloody mess all of that stuff. And then even MJF's entrance, which he's done before he did it against Chris Jericho with the entrance. And then psych it's MJF, you know, so you get cult of personality. So, so you still get the cult of personality pop. Uh huh. So you still pop the crowd for it. So they, they did everything. And then the match itself too, which is like admittedly, and I, I feel like I say this so often about like hardcore gimmick stuff. And this is not a hardcore gimmick, but this is a very old fashioned gimmick. And it's never been my favorite because I think there's so many of like the collar and strap matches are sometimes pretty pathetic, especially the ones that yeah. WWE has put on. Yes. Um, this one was, it, it, this is why this match type exists. Yep. Right. Like this is, this is what it's for. This is the, two guys that at least one of them wants to tear the head off of the other one. And here's a match where they can't get away. Finally. And, you know, Punk again is a bloody mess. I, without thinking about the Wardlow win, which would have changed my pick, I had MJF penciled in as the winner because in my head, I thought it was going to be Punk beats the piss out of MJF, right? Mm-hmm. And then because MJF is the future, they still find a way, be it pinnacle interference, Wardlow with the ring, whatever the case may be. Yeah, for him to just like Kurt Angle flop on top of CM Punk and just unconsciously win somehow, right? And where Punk technically got his pound of flesh, but didn't walk away the winner. And I thought something like that would happen, but then Wardlow won the, the ladder match. So that changed things because now it's like MJF didn't win. MJF is not having a good time 
and MJF needs somebody to blame. So that's important. But the match itself, though, like, oof, like MJF can work. CM Punk, clearly you can see that he can still go for long periods of time. No problem. Was this the match of the night? It, it's really yeah. hard to even say, but like. I, again, I think for I, everyone it's different. Right? Like, I, there's one thing which we'll get to that pulls me away from this one. <laughs> I'm like, sure I know what that is. Yeah, but like, ooh, man, this was so good. Mm-hmm. This I, was so, so good. Like, the emotional resonance of it was oh, so good. It was because it was perfect. The build-up to it was perfect. We were so emotionally invested in it. The the way that MJF, you know, worked the crowd with the, the CM Punk entrance was perfect. And it primed everyone. And then, you know, classic Ring of Honor CM Punk was was exactly what it needed to be. For me, the only downside to this match, because I, much like you, I'm pretty skeptical whenever matches like this come up. Because so often they're just, you know... Like you said, pathetic is the perfect word for it. They're they're really like half-assed, non-committal matches. But this was such a beautiful homage to the like classic dog collars or or like strap matches that you get in like the mid south, right? Th- this was everything it should have been. My only issue with it was the thumbtacks. I don't think they were necessary. Uh, for me. It was, so I understand where it comes from, right? It's it's injecting that sort of modernism into this match type. But I feel like, especially nowadays, it happens so much that here was just, it wasn't necessary, right? You, you accomplished the same thing no matter what. You could have used a steel chair. You could have just used a table. There are a lot of ways that you could have gotten to the same place and told the exact same story while keeping that sort of classic to it and I feel like it lost a little bit I did however have a realization that I will admit is very late but but is a good one I would in any ma- ref- wrestling match with thumbtacks rather be a wrestler than a referee because I can definitely accept yeah I can accept taking a bump into thumbtacks if you want to pick me up and drop me into a pile of thumbtacks don't get me wrong I'm not offering to let you do so but, like, if we were rest, like, I would be like, yeah, do it. Slam me in the thumbtacks. I'll be fine. We're good. But if I'm a referee, I have to willingly, knowingly slam my hand down onto a thumbtack, sometimes a pile of thumbtacks, without hesitation. And goddamn, that's so much worse. I would and like. You have you- to get down on your knees, too. Uh huh. You have to like, knowingly not- just, like, dive oh. into these tacks, and it's awful. Yeah. Yeah, it's ridiculous. Like, I I forget who it was. I it may have been like uh, Jimmy Corderas, you know, because he's he's podcasted a bunch, and I think he said multiple times where he's like, yeah, there's like those like false can anywhere or hardcore matches and stuff from back in the day where it's like you're running around there and you gotta just like slide down on concrete and just like slap your hand on something that's <laughs> you don't know what's on that surface. Like you could just be hitting random things all the time and you come back and your hands like a bloody mess sometimes it's like how did this happen well you know i just like slapped my hand three times on broken glass yep and yeah I, it's, but that's absolutely. my job yeah it's cr- it's crazy how that works man i bump me on text but don't make me count on them 
uh uw put that on a t-shirt yeah right but other other than that other than that i absolutely love this match i adored it i thought it was a great uh like i said earlier revolution as a whole was but this match definitely was was a love song a love a love story for professional wrestling in every way and one of the other reasons why i like this match so much is that it was different it stood out from every other match on the card and it was a very unique thing without feeling like it didn't belong. And I, I think that's one of the best compliments I can give it. Yeah, a hundred percent. And then, you know, with the ending, Wardlow comes out, can't find the ring, finally finds it after Punk puts him down. Perfect, beautiful ending, loved it. Can't wait to see where that goes. But we talked about that. So we'll move on to our next match. Dr. Britt Baker, DMD, with the beautiful new AEW Women's World Championship versus Thunder Rosa. Oh, this is the match number two in the series, right? Because mm-hmm. the first one was the lights out match where Thunder Rosa wins, but it doesn't count, as Baker will remind us. And, you know, you, you keep going with that. And uh, we we talked about this before. So you get Baker retains, obviously with help. And as is becoming the norm, which is, it's fine. That's her shtick. It's a good match. Uh, the You know, I, of the three women's matches, I think easily the best one. And I, I, I think much as you alluded to before, there's going to be Thunder Rosa versus Layla Hirsch for the number one contendership and the winner will go on to face Baker presumably in what in San Antonio right yeah at the St. Patrick's Day whatever they're calling it sure they invent these names on the fly I swear (laughs) it seems likely that that's where it's happening right you get Rosa Baker three in you know, San Antonio. Maybe a uh, steel cage sounds like it's probably going to be the way to go. Uh, that makes sense. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, uh, so a uh, little bit of a of a wrestling history nerd. Texas is is huge on the cage matches. They're a big thing there. They have been just throughout history. Uh, so that's that's one reason to put it there. And the other thing that makes me really feel like that's where we're going to go with it. Watch. I'll be wrong. Is you know we've just had so much build up with. Uh, Brit having, you know, the Stooges and them constantly interfering and it being so much more than just, you know, a numbers game. It's it's always this. And so it, it, it feels right to me where if this is what they're building to and if they are building to Thunder Rosa beating Brit, then the easiest way to do it is to remove them from the equation. And we can do the traditional, like, they're barred from ringside, sure, but if we're going to be in Texas anyway, I feel like it makes more sense to put it in the cage. I could agree with that. I think it makes perfect sense, especially in this match where you have uh, Thunder Rosa's coming off of, she, I'll throw up the quotes, won the first encounter. And then in this one, she has the match won, like Baker taps out in, in the middle of the ring, but the ref is distracted. So she wins the match, but doesn't win. And uh, she had her beat twice. Yeah. Because she also had her pinned. Yes, that is true. 
So it is this thing of just without the Stooges, I would already be champion. Just, you know, you have people I don't. You cheat, I don't. Let's put it in a situation where you can't do that. Yeah, exactly. Or at least you'll have to get very creative to do something. Like, which it's always fun. It's good. Like, there's been great interference in cage match spots. Yeah. I don't know if Jamie Hayter could pull the door off, though. <laughs> no, that's a rebel. <laughs> oh, yeah, of course. You're right. You're right. Rebel. I'm She's freakishly sure. strong and deceptively strong. <laughs> rips the entire side off the cage well it's like the it's like it's like a mother getting the adrenaline boost right <laughs> when she still lifts the car <laughs> that's my doctor <laughs> yeah haters more of like a cane i think like she'll come through the bottom of the ring that's fair yeah but they got oh, time I, I respect that though they they got a, a hefty amount of time i think as you mentioned before like this was uh what like a fifteen to eighteen minute match somewhere in that range. This one, where, this one got yeah. more time than the ladder match. It was a seventeen. Yeah, it was seventeen twenty five compared to the House of Black versus um, Death segment plus oh, Redbeard. Yeah, that one was was just about the same amount of time. That one was I think yeah. I think seventeen okay. twenty. Yeah. Okay, so yeah, they got like a they got a TV show main event. 20 minute slot yeah. length of time. And then that's good. That's a respectable amount of time. It just shows that you treat the women's championship with respect by giving it that amount of time. Also being positioned, not the first match on the card, not in a death spot. It's late enough on the card. Yeah. I guess you could argue this is kind of a, a dead spot coming after, you know, punk and MJF, but man, at th- this point, like, where are you going to put a match? Yeah, it, it's hard here because, again, uh, I don't know if if I said this. I, I know I said this to you before we started. But, man, this card was so long and it felt even longer. It, it was like if you sat any, any like, wrestling fan down in, in front of the computer and were like, okay, just make a really cool wrestling show. This is what they'd come out with, right? Where it's like, yeah. And we're just, we're going to have Punk and MJF, and it's going to be a dog collar match, and then we're going to have a women's title match, and we're going to have, we're going to have, uh, ever we're going to have everything, right? So we're going to have the ladder match, and we're going to have the, like, triple threat tag team match chaos, and we're, we're going to have, like, a main event that's, like, rife with history from, like, years ago, and we're going to have the, the, like, legend and Sting, and the, the, we're going to pair him with the, the youths who we've been, like, building and are coming up, and... And we're gonna we're gonna put it all together, and and then we're gonna make it work. And it's like, sure, but I. So this happened later in the night, but <laughs> when the the tag team match, the six man tornado tag team match ends right after the like thirteen or fourteen minutes it was, I went, oh god, we still have a world title match. I just want to go to bed. <laughs> which is not not the reaction it's not the reaction you want to have right no no and it's not because i wasn't enjoying the show i loved the show it was great hell that match in particular which we'll get to in a bit was way better than i expected it to be fair even if i would still advocate for leaving it off this card yeah sure uh, same but like five hours so yeah of course here with like Brit and Thunder Rosa, the crowd's going to be kind of burnt out. And you know what? To their credit, they were still fucking loud. 
Ooh. Yeah. And they still had tons of energy for the main event, which was great, which we'll get to. <laughs> we'll get yeah. to. It. Man, dude. Oof. Some fun stuff for that one. Fun stuff. But yeah, Britt Brit goes over here with the help of the title and her stooges once again. And then we get to what might be my match of the night. Maybe? I Maybe? have I don't... no doubt. <laughs> yeah. So, John Moxley versus Brian Danielson. And this is one where I think I maybe was looking forward to this match the most of any match on the card. Maybe. Same. You know, Punk and MJF obviously is up there. Um, but this is just, okay, what's Moxley going to be able to do? Because this is his first, like, really big test coming back. We know what Danielson can do. But what's going to happen here? And it, I, like, I penciled in, I was like, all right, Danielson wins, but my gut says Moxley. Because I think that's how you continue it, right? Of, like, Moxley wins, so therefore the ball is now in Danielson's court. Of, yeah. You know, he he's the one who offered, Moxley said, all right, well, bleed together first, and then, you know, we'll, we'll see what happens. I also can't imagine they're going to have him lose the first, like, major match he has back. Yeah, exactly, exactly. So I was like, everything in my gut says Moxley wins. And I didn't think he win in this way. Of uh, They have a hell of a match. They're doing very much what you've, you know mentioned several times of just like kind of just beating each other of oh no you're not hitting me hard enough hit me harder and uh that that's what you expect from these guys right like that's that's what they do that's moxley's whole shtick of i can just hit hard and danielson's whole career has been i hit hard um and doing that going back and forth the storyline of uh you know, he's the dragon for Moxley to slay because he never has been able to do that. So that's pretty awesome. It's super simple stuff. I've, I've said this before on here of like, sometimes it's just executing the basic simple things well that goes further than anything else. Because when you get complicated, that's when everything starts going wrong and it gets too convoluted. And like, I would rather have the very basic storyline told well than a complicated storyline told poorly. And this was a basic storyline told very well. Yeah, I mean, and I appreciated that. I would even argue there were a lot of complexities, like in the the way that the match worked out. Even if the overall storyline was pretty simple, right? You had you had this whole thing where like Brian coming into this is this very arrogant, very very uh, rightfully so expectant guy who goes, "Man, everyone who I've I've come toe to toe with, I've beaten the shit out of. I'm gonna do this to you too." And like, yeah, you're John Moxley, and ooh, but but I'm Brian Danielson, and so you you kind of got to watch as you also have Moxley coming in and being like, all right, you know, he understands coming into this match, he's got to stake his claim again, he's got to got to retake that spot because he's been gone, and and so you have this thing where going into that match, you have so much momentum and energy coming out of Moxley who knows he's going to have to, like, push, 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 and just wants to fight. And slowly seeing Brian sort of recognize and acknowledge that he can't just do the same things he's been doing, right? The things he did that worked against, like, Lee Moriarty aren't going to work here. Hell, even the things he did against, like, Hangman Page are not going to work here. That's not where he is right now, and that's not who he's facing. 
And it, it was cool watching as that became more and more readily apparent as the match went on between these two guys as they just settled into what effectively amounted to a wrestle brawl. And that's one of the things that I've grown to appreciate about Brian Danielson losing these matches. And he's beating himself most of the time. Like his opponents are losing these matches or at least going 50, 50 with him. And well, I guess at most going 50 with him and he beats himself like he gets cocky he gets arrogant in the well you're not pushing 51 percent, so therefore you're not gonna win so i can just cruise control and that's how i'll win because i'm better than you like I, i'm a better wrestler than you i've have more experience than you he did that with hangman with the match with the judges of you know oh i'll just show off to the judges and that's how i'll win we'll go to the time limit they'll just hand me the belt because i'm better you know, I'm a better wrestler than Hangman Adam Page. I can wrestle longer than Hangman Adam Page. And then he got cocky, went cruise control, and lost. In this match, he gets the triangle in and is like, oh, I'll just flex the same way I beat everybody else. Punch him a couple of times, he'll go out. He doesn't go out. And he ends up getting rolled up and loses the match. And, you so know, that- it's... No, go ahead. I'm just going to say, like, much the same thing. It's like, it's a big piece of it is he's beating himself. So there's a picture that I've seen online that I wonder if it will come into play here or if we're just going to ignore it. Because it's wrestling and that happens sometimes. So there is an angle where it looks like Danielson had a shoulder up. He's so, so Moxley goes over him, right? And he's like, he like bridges over him. So uh, he's accordioned on himself. And from this angle, and I'll, I'll find it to send you, uh, it looks like he is bridged too high on his neck and one of his shoulders is off the mat. I wonder if this is intentional or not, right? Because that's a really easy thing. And even if it wasn't intentional, if it gets played into now, right, where it makes sense that after the bell rang, he was like, what? How I lost, not necessarily being aware that it had happened or how it happened and then wanting to continue afterwards because of that. Or if they're just going to be like, yeah, it doesn't matter. That never happened. Don't look at this particular angle. It's fine. It's interesting based on what happened after the match, mm-hmm. which you know is almost as big as the match itself for me because we get the debut of William Regal in AEW and our prayers have been answered. Well, my prayers have been answered. So finally, uh, the Regal has come back to our TV screens. All hell the king. Yeah, we've missed him. And he comes out and he just kind of slaps both of them and, and it's like, shake hands, get along. Match happened. Match good. Respect. Respect now. And... <laughs> you do what the angry british man tells you to do oh yeah shake the hands and i i wonder how long this goes i wonder is this the tag team is this the group is it a faction is are they going to do what daniel bryan wanted brian danielson wanted to do the entire time or is this going to be the implosion you know is regal going one way is Mox going the other? Are, are they going together? Is Regal going to go full babyface? Is, you know, what is this going to be? And 
man, do I love that I don't know the answer to these questions. Yeah, man, there's so many good outcomes. And oh. there's, I mean, there's nothing, there's no downside, right? When William Regal's involved. No matter what the outcome is here, everyone will still benefit. There is maybe not a sharper-minded wrestling right now than William Regal. We've talked about this before. We talked and, about and this. And if you have a new developmental brand that is going to need people in the back helping you lay out storylines and matches, Ooh. because I cannot imagine a world where Tony Khan is taking enough whatever the hell he was on last Wednesday to be able to book dark and dark elevation and dynamite and rampage and pay-per-views and ring of honor but but joe he already have someone to book ring of honor don't we (laughs) (sighs) as far as i'm concerned wrestling has more than one royal family and one of them is king william regal so all to himself he is a house unto his own oh 100 percent yeah, so I, I'm just saying, like, man, this guy's an asset in every sense of the word. Yeah, they already have so many people who are so beneficial for their talent as far as backstage, right? And so many people who are going to work with some of the amazing youth that they have with, like, uh, Dante and Lee Moriarty are two of the names that I'll, like, very quickly shout out. Uh, we also, in the last week, got the return of Top Flight. Yes, we I did. just want to quickly put out there and what a showcase oh yes that was awesome that was just Uh, awesome it's just a quick thing to throw in there yes darius right that's the brother's name i believe so i suck at names yeah same uh yeah no great showing very excited to see them back together i think it's good there's been you know it it, the whole storyline with him really fell off leo left and and it it got a little weird and whatever but I'm really excited to see them back together and doing stuff. But guys like them, guys like like Lee Moriarty, there's so much young talent in this company who stands to gain so much from guys like, you know, you've got Jerry Lynn, you've got Christian, you've got Matt Hardy and Jericho, and now you've got uh, William Regal and just Brian Danielson, CM Punk, John Moxley. You've got so much wrestling into dean malenko is is also one of their guys yep. you've yep. got so much wrestling intellect back there there's so, there's so many i i mean we'll be here all night if i name everyone but like there's so much comprehension of everything to do with the business back there and it is so cool knowing that the talent that is coming even after the talent that is right now rising up the the, the card is going to be able to benefit from all of this so much. It, it's so exciting. I, I can't imagine what the landscape of this company is going to be in, in 10, 15 years. I can only see good things, and I can only hope for good things. So, but, yeah, just, man, William Regal. <laughs> yeah, yeah, you did it. Uh you have to start using your powers for good more often. Uh, William Regal was great. I am so pleased that William Regal was there and is officially all elite and is not going anywhere. This was not a one-off, which is and great. And the pop, the monster pop that he got for going out there. Oh, yeah. Absolutely great. Absolutely great. Yeah. Um, And this was the second. We, we skipped over this one. 
which I guess we shouldn't have really, but this was the second debut of the night because yes. we also had the announcement from from Tony about and and the appearance of Isaiah Swerve Strickland, right? Is yeah. that what he's going by? Uh, Shane Strickland. Right? Shane, I said the, Isaiah. The Why did I say Isaiah? The realist, uh, oh, because it was Isaiah Scott. Was that his name? In, it was in... Isaiah Swerve Scott. Okay, that's what it was. The realist. Uh, Shane Swerve Shane Strickland. Swerve Strickland. Yeah, he's yes. back. He's back to using the name he used beforehand. Yeah, it's gonna take me a few minutes to get used to it, but uh, yeah, he's he's a guy I'm excited for, definitely, because uh, he's somebody who came in and was in NXT for a bit and had some like cruiserweight matches and stuff, and it, like it took me a while, and I forget what what show it was on, but there was a cruiserweight championship like fatal four way. And I want to say it was at like one of those shows that they did where it was like NXT, NXT UK and 205 live all on the same show. Cause they did a couple of those and he was in this and he was amazing. Like absolutely amazing. Like got to show off like no previous time before that. And ever since that point, I was like, wow, this guy, I want to see him be cruiserweight champion. Like, let's go like do this. And that never really happened, but then he uh, finally got into like NXT proper and started having matches and started getting a gimmick and all that stuff. And just when it seemed like he was actually hitting his stride, he's gone. So I'm hoping he gets to show off to that level again, because I think he can, this is a guy that he's built for these matches. He's built for the style that so many of them have in AW and um, like these ladder matches it's gonna be awesome him versus like sammy guevara him him versus darby allen him versus like any of the guys from um you know red dragon young bucks any of that stuff like he can work amazing matches with these guys so talented yeah my uh my first exposure to him was uh in lucha underground skip forward like 20 seconds if you don't want to know who he was my exposure to him was was lucha underground where he, he was playing kill shot and my goodness, what an absolutely amazing talent he is. And I was just absolutely enthralled with him there. His ability to to both just the things he can do, which are unreal in the ring, and uh, the way that he can still find ways to tell stories while hitting all these big spots and big moments uh, are great. He also, and it didn't really come up in WWE or NXT because it doesn't really is surprisingly good when it comes to the hardcore stuff, um, which is something that, you know, AEW doesn't really shy away from. So I'd love to see some of that in his future as well. But uh, especially if he's coming in, in my dream situation, he comes in as a heel. In the first six months, he's going to feud with Darby Allin, and they're going to have some kind of throw each other off a scaffold to win match or something. <laughs> But but yeah, he's he's good at the high flying. He's good at the storytelling. He has sound fundamentals. He's good with with the hardcore stuff. Just put him on my TV screen. Couldn't have said it better. All right, so that'll bring us to our next match, the six man tornado tag team match between Andrade, Matt, and. Isaiah Cassidy, right? It was Isaiah Cassidy, not Mark Quinn. And yes, I think so. Yeah. Okay. Versus Darby Allen, Sammy Guevara, and their grandpa. 
their crazy it's grandpa. It's staying and he's alive, thank God. <laughs> oh man. I okay. The sting spot was scary, but when it actually happened, you're like, okay, that was relatively safe. Yeah, it was um, awesome. That was a great spot too. It was it was yeah. the perfect spot for him to do. Uh, just real quick, because I know where you're going with this, and I promise not to take us too far off. The only thing I do want to say about it is, it's unreal to think about a year ago when Sting was in a cinematic match because he couldn't like really be in a ring again, and here he is diving off of the the like thing through two sets of tables wow this this almost ended my night because i I almost had a heart attack when he was going up there to jump and i knew he was going to jump and i just saw his life flash before my eyes and that scared the life out of me yep but i think it was just before that that Sammy Guevara almost died because what in the unholy hell was that Spanish fly? If I and never see that spot again, I will die happy. No, 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 no. please. I, I, he, uh, what? Like this, this looked like he just like pancaked, like he pancaked and slid on the stage, which is, I think, metal when falling yeah. probably a good 20 feet yeah yeah yep and, that, and yep i like this was a thing of no i i don't want this i understand you want to do crazy spots and i understand we've seen so many crazy spots before of like let's bring up jeff hardy jeff hardy has jumped off of insane heights and put his body through hell I don't recall too many Jeff Hardy jumps off crazy heights and puts his body through hell spots that made me cringe at the level of this impact where he just, I mean, they, but mainly Sammy, cause he went face first, just splatted and what? And then we were just supposed to follow the rest of the match. Yeah, no, it was, it was unreal. And as they're setting up for it, I'm like, okay, so what's the what's the payoff here? Because there's no way. And just as I get to that thought where I'm like, there's no way, off they go. <laughs> Holy shit. And somehow, okay, so that happens. And then this thing splash happens. And I'm like, oh, thank God, that was fine. That was fine. And then I get even more scared. Because there's still a third guy left who is the one known for being insanely crazy and and hurting I, I guess hurting himself to hurt the opponent type yeah. thing of of Darby and I'm like oh no oh no Darby's gonna go and just climb the arena and jump off and I, I I'm, I'm terrified like I'm terrified at that point and fine like you could laugh at me and be like oh my god you can't take it but I'm like I have watched wrestling long enough to see crazy freak injuries and careers end or get shortened or people have to retire for seven years, 10 years, whatever the case may be to know where those injuries come from. And that is where those injuries can come from. And so the fact that Darby Allen only hits a terrible coffin drop to win is like, Oh, thank God it's over. The, the coffin drop headbutt. <laughs> yeah. Right. Yeah. The, he- the, I'm going to lay down next to you and calmly rest my head 
upon your side mm-hmm. you know matt hardy's like ow oh no yeah it was it was unfortunate and then they replayed it from the top down so that just in case you missed how it completely missed him the first time we're just going to show you how it missed so that you can see it missing but have our commentary table continue to sell it like it is fucking amazing yeah uh, but yeah, you know what i'm all, i i also was very concerned about darby allen's well-being and if that's all that we got that's all we got and i'm okay with it yeah exactly i like like please it's fine it's fine you missed the finish a bit whatever the match is over awesome can we check on everybody and make sure they're alive mm-hmm. please and i'm sure next week we'll get the payoff with uh matt getting kicked out because i'm sure jeff is yeah. like immediately incoming at this point i have to imagine that's the point he's the one who took the fall that's the point of this match right and yeah awesome yeah definitely uh andrade looked like a million bucks in this match though. yeah that's one thing i yes. do want to talk about he looked so strong and so so strong both physically and just with the way he was presented in the match. Wow. Absolutely mm-hmm. fantastic. And that's after the triple threat where they had that absolutely insane spot where he he went it was the, the traditional like like three man spot. Doom, right? But instead yeah. of the way they normally do it, you had him held up in a super that was wild. That was that was crazy. Yeah, he he's looking great. I'm a fan of his. I greatly appreciate his body of work, and I don't know where his ceiling is in AW, but I'm hoping the Andrade office or whatever it becomes. Like I don't know if it's all the Andrade family office or just rename it or whatever. Once Matt's gone, and it's I guess the Hardys maybe versus him and Private Party maybe uh that could be kind of cool i hope he moves on to some good stuff because let's get more matches with him yeah in my ideal world i think private party also leaves and it's like him and the butcher and the blade for now until yeah until they bring in someone else because like private parties at this point where i think that they need to just sort of go off and be a tag team again for a while and not be part of one of these storylines as like the stooges anymore but Butcher and the Blade are literally, like, their whole thing is built for them to be those guys, right? Like, it's perfect. Uh, and so you put them with Andrade, and it makes sense when they help him win. It also covers up his losses, because who cares if the hired guns lose? And even if they lose and you're in the match, it doesn't really matter as long as you come out on top of it anyway. Yeah, Private Party is this team that I feel like needs to be babyface again. Like, they just seem like such natural baby faces to me. And them being like stooge heels to Matt Hardy is like, meh, just doesn't fit. And I understand there's been like some injuries and stuff, but uh, that's fine. You got to work with what you got. But yeah, I forgot the, I I always forget like how many people are in the damn Hardy family office. Uh, So like Butcher and Blade being there, yeah, they're perfect for Andrade. That makes way too much sense. Yeah, well, because it also changes, right? Like you have, Penelope and the bunny are in it, but we haven't seen them in a while. And then the last time we saw the hybrid two, they were also in it, but we haven't seen them in a while either. And we don't know if they're still contracted or not. And so who knows? Uh, yeah. But anyway, good match. Great spots. Please don't die. And now we have the main event. 
Oh man, there's so much to say about this match. There's so much. Uh, do you want to just start with the entrances? Because I think it's the natural place to start, right? Of yeah. you have uh, Master Chief versus like LGBT friendly cowboy. Hell yeah, that's my yeah. champion right there. <laughs> yeah, yeah, I, I love it. I love how uh, you know he is unapologetically him. And he uh, is somebody who is like very pro, like I I want people to be happy because, and it it makes sense for his character, right? Of like, he's worked really hard to find happiness in his own life. So he is for that for other people as well. Yeah, absolutely. And, and, you know, he's always been really outspoken and open and loud online about, Every, everything from, you know, being uh, a big ally in the community, the LGBTQ plus community, he's always been very loud about, you know, the stuff going on with science and uh, when things were happening with COVID. And he was always very big on mental, he- mental health and, and things like that. And he's, by all accounts, just a really great guy. And it is awesome to see him using his platform to do some real good especially when they were in florida uh dealing with you know the things that some people unfortunately have to go through now in florida and the uh things that are not part of this podcast that we don't have to really get into because otherwise exactly exactly but this is a this is going to be a thing with him oh it's always going to be a thing with him right of like and and i don't just mean that to be like a political statement just in general like he's somebody who is creative He's somebody who is going to uh, organically grow and change and evolve over time where he's going to incorporate these things into his entrances. Like we talked about his attire in his championship match at full gear, where it was, he is ready to be champion. That's what his attire was about. And this was in a similar way of like, Hey, like I'm using my attire to make a statement right now. And you know, so every time he's going to have one of these big matches, you might see a different statement. It might be about something. It could be about his opponent. It could be about the storyline he's in. It could be whatever the case may be. And that's something that makes you want to watch. It makes you like him. Maybe it'll make you hate him one day, whatever the case may be. But like, you know, right now, that's awesome. That's an yeah. awesome thing. And that's then cowboy got, shit got, right there. Exactly. And then you've got him facing Master Chief. <laughs> I will say that maybe Adam Cole's Master Chief gear could have been a little uh, more upscale. A little bit, a little bit. It, it I, like, I get cheap. It. He, he's a nerd. He's a streamer. Like, I, I understand. That's cool. And you weren't going to have him come out as a full Spartan. <laughs> I don't know, man. Kenny Omega literally came out to Wrestle Kingdom one year dressed as his warlock from Destiny. Adam Cole could have come out like a fucking Spartan. I would have been fine with that. Uh, but, like, I don't know. I would have expected them to put a little bit more money, effort, or time into it. Two of the three, at least. It, it looked I a little expected, it, I expected, like, if you're going to do, like, the, the, like, I don't know, vest top type thing, do, like, some type of, like, legs or pants to go yes. with it. So it's, like, that... Because this just looked like you're just wearing a weird backpack. Yeah. Oh, can we talk about how it was also clearly past JR's bedtime? 
Okay, yeah, well, <laughs> JR, JR had some during the night where he was like, this is some new kid shit. I don't know what this is. Like with Jade? explain it to me. Like with Jade? We have that with Jade where he's like, yeah. she's a superhero. And Excalibur's like, or for Mortal Kombat, but whatever, it's fine. It's okay, JR. There you go. Pat, Pat, you're okay. But then... <laughs> Adam Cole, god damn it, they finally got me. Adam Page comes out, and Jan's like, is that a new championship? Oh, yeah. And Excalibur's oh. just like, uh, no, what the fuck, JR? No, like, it's fucking oof. not. And Jan's you... <laughs> Like, when's the last time you looked at our championships, JR? And Jan's just like, oh, he must have shined in a real good thing. Man. Oh, it was a moment. And there was like, there was this just moment of dead air where everyone at the table had to figure out what the fuck just happened. Yeah. Yeah, I, man, stuff like that cracks me up sometimes. Yeah. It's, it's, oh, it's a thing, but that's what happens when you bring a good old JR to a, like a six hour show um, you know because he's got to be there beforehand and he's got to warm up and everything and then it's like it's going on midnight and jr is still out there yep <laughs> that's okay though he's he's definitely gotten a lot better um yes. yes his his flubs at this point are a lot more just lack of knowledge and not so much l- lack of understanding of the situations right like we haven't had a, a a sandwich or a kitchen remark in a while during a women's match we haven't had him openly being like this is a dumb gimmick in a while he hasn't really derided the talent that he doesn't get uh which is which is good like he's he's finding the place where he can both be like i don't fucking get this Without having to be like, I don't fucking get this, and it's bad, which is which is really exactly, yeah. and he's deferring to Excalibur more, like more openly, great. yeah, of like, hey, look, I don't get this, but like, I'm sure you know, and I'm sure you can explain this, so like, go, right, mm-hmm. like, I'm not gonna talk for a minute, go explain it, please, like, because either you're gonna teach me something or you're gonna teach somebody else something, so like, cool, and it's really cool seeing, uh the chemistry with Excalibur, JR, and Tony, where they all have these very different places where they're incredibly knowledgeable, and they don't, like, they, uh, it's wrestling, so of course they overlap in some places, but there's so many places where they don't, and it's really cool to watch them sort of weave between each other and expand everyone's knowledge in doing so, which is really cool. So, from that, like, because I've gushed about aw commentary before of like why i like them so much and how they bring me into the show but one thing that i haven't talked a bunch about because we've mentioned crowds before but aw has a unique situation where like wrestling crowds are very creative they, they just are like if if they're bored during a the show they'll let you know and sometimes they go into business for themselves and as problematic as that can be at times sometimes it's hilarious and this was one where it's hilarious creative but it didn't take away from anything it just made it better 
in all of the the atoms the and there were at least three or four different ones during the oh, match it was of, so good you know of let's go adam adam, adam sucks. sucks you yeah. know we've got uh what was it this is adam um and uh fight for adam yes yeah that was and a really good one i like that just, one a lot oh man like so good so there, so good the the thing that i really really enjoyed about that also was that th- that was a thing that happened throughout the entire match until the moment when like red dragon comes down to ringside and shit starts to get serious, and the crowd immediately switches from, like, having fun and being ridiculous to doing the, like, split chant or doing the, like, get the fuck up, Adam Page thing, uh, which was just so cool to see. We're like, we're having fun, we're having fun. Wait, what? Uh-oh. All right, fuck that. Fuck you, Adam Cole. <laughs> yeah, yeah, you're... Wait, no, we want you to be really clear right now. Like, when we were saying Adam sucks, we meant you. You, you're the one who sucks. Yeah. You're the one who sucks. We were cheering the other one. Yeah, the, the AEW crowd is very dynamic, and I think that the ability, the acceptance of the company allowing its fans to sort of cheer whoever, cheer all, all, everyone, has this really good impact on that, right? Like, you you don't there's this very old school concept where like if you're a heel they have to boo you and i mean that's true right like if you look at the best deals in history that is accurate but at the same time wrestling has evolved and crowds have evolved and that doesn't really work the same way any anymore right and you'll still get the boos where you need them like you look at miro versus orange cassidy is a really good example of Right, uh, where coming into the match, both guys get cheered pretty hard because everyone's behind Miro. Miro's, you know, a fan favorite because of his time in WWE not being utilized properly. Coming over here, uh, say what you will about how he started, but where he ended up, amazing. And people love seeing Miro. They love seeing the 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 boss fight that he's that he is, and people of orange Cassidy. So that match starts and there's a lot of cheering and it stays that way right up until about the time that orange Cassidy is half dead. And that's when the crowd goes, all right, it's time to boo you. Fuck you, Miro. Let's, let's put him down. And that's great. It's great because it allows people to celebrate what they enjoy without having to sacrifice anything else, which is awesome. And it, it creates these really unique situations here where you have the let's go Adam Adam sucks chant, which maybe wouldn't have happened in other situations. Yeah. So this is one where I'm going to kind of just like say a couple of nice things because I have a couple of not so nice things to say about this match. Um, I did very much enjoy this match. I thought this was a great match. I did, didn't think it was the match of the night. Again, it's, I want to watch it back because I think, you know watching this at the end of like five hours of wrestling when you've had two or three matches that are emotionally exhausting before it and one where thank god somebody didn't die yeah that's a lot to get through i want to compliment the fact that hangman has had a hell of a title run so far and it's a short title run but look at the matches he's had already they've established him as the top guy in the company and that's what he's supposed to be. So kudos to them for doing so. 
Also, he's still undefeated at Revolution. Just want to keep that streak going. It's three and zero. Three Revolutions, three and zero. Right. Uh, cool. Putting that out there. I do just want to say though that like there were a couple of like questionable decisions I think in this match, and you know like Paige got booed toward the end because of the whole like tying him to the top rope thing, which I I understand it and I I get where you're going with the story of like all right cool like he has been like a massive asshole to you he did jump you with three on one and all that stuff so like you're getting your payback in this moment but this is also a title match and you're the white meat baby face who shouldn't be doing this two things because i get where you're coming from i have other problems with this match that i'm gonna talk about but i want to address these first so i i say this a lot this is where it becomes very frustrating that they never tell you you need to watch BTE because things happen on BTE that are relevant. So earlier in that match, uh, after the Dark Order comes out, right, they go to check on him and he shoves, um, uh, God damn it, uh, uh, the Reynolds, Reynolds, yeah, thank you, Alex Reynolds, right, yeah, 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 he shoves Alex Reynolds away from him, um, and so. There's this moment in BTE where the Dark Order is kind of hanging out and Reynolds is very clearly, you know, bothered by this. And he's like, you know, why would he do that? And so Paige walks in with the title and he's like, hey, and he goes to immediately try to apologize. And Reynolds just walks out. You know, he's he's, he's just not here for it. Um, and you know, the rest of the dark order like checks in with him and he's like, listen, we're good. Go, go after him. He needs you. We're good. And so they leave and Paige is just left sitting there and he looks tired. And this is something that I wish they had done more of on the show as opposed to on BTE, because with that context, a lot of things change, right? You because you absolutely have a guy who's living his best life right now. But also imagine how taxing it has to be. You're talking about you've you've just had in the course of a month uh, this match with Adam Cole. You had two Daniel Bryan matches. And you had a death match with Lance, Lance Archer. It's exhausting. It burns you out and it, it leaves you, you know... Uh, no matter how prepared you are mentally going into being a champion, you are being tested at every turn. And for a guy who winning that title was really, well, not winning that title, but, but being ready to win that title, rather, was such an important moment in finding your confidence and finding yourself to see yourself exhausted and burnt out and, and on the edge of maybe losing it and especially losing it to a guy like Adam Cole, it it's hard. And because Adam Page is always presented as this very human character, it's it's something that, that I think is where you start to see the cracks. I don't think we're looking at a heel turn or anything, but no, no. But no. we're looking at we're looking at the next step for this character, which is having to cope with what being champion means. And 
having to remove your personal identity from the belt. Because if if we're right, and we've talked about this before, the next time that we go on pay-per-view is it. That's that's gonna be double or nothing, and that's more likely than not gonna be Paige MJF. And if it is, he's not walking out with the belt. So this yeah, is Yeah, uh, yeah, multiple multiple things to that quickly. Just like it, you know, the the saying the context is wrong, but like it still fits of like the heavy is the head that wears the crown, right? Yeah. And um I I think maybe there's a Jay White match in between this. And and Ooh. there's always the chance that that's double or nothing. Okay. But then I, I then that. I think you're pushing MJF to um was it all out? Well, okay. So that could happen because this was something that I thought was interesting. We only have one month between uh, uh, this pay-per-view and Double or Nothing. Because that's in March. Or uh, uh, May, rather. Which yes, is, because... This is interesting. Because June, July used to be Fighter Fest and Fight for the Fallen. But they're not pay-per-views anymore. Yeah. So... They still, they're still going to have them at shows, but I can't imagine those are going to be MJF winning the championship. Or no, there's like no that. way MJF doesn't win on pay-per-view, right? Yeah, that's that's like all out or hell, even uh, full gear, something but, like that. But, but like then, that seems a little far. Yeah, that's what I was going to say is, but then we're waiting a long time for Paige to lose the title. So it's weird because like it's really soon. And with MJF now having to start the program with Wardlow, I don't know uh, if we get a satisfying conclusion to that story and also have time to set up MJF and Adam Page in the way you want, especially if you wonder if maybe we have another Page Cole match coming, because that could also be a thing. There wasn't a lot of build to this match, and it might be something we do, especially if we're going to think about maybe doing like Undisputed Era or not Undisputed Era versus like page and the young bucks because that's something we haven't seen yet but another thing that they talked about on being the elite where adam page uh is in the dressing room with the young bucks and it's after the match and he, the young books are like you know none of us had had success tonight and pages er, and cole is like yeah but you know it would have been nice if you were out there supporting me and then he walks off and the bucks are like we were supporting him from back here right like and it's another one of those really interesting moments where it's like well you already had two guys out there literally cheating for you so yeah i guess you're right you could have had two more guys out there cheating for you but also that guy's their friend who they've kind of made up with a little bit oh totally because yeah. they, they at least have that respect of like, okay, we were this kind of tight group and now we're not anymore, but it's a little more of like the apologies have been put on the table, no hard feelings, you do you, I'll do me. Because when he came out and they were in the ring with Red Dragon, you know, he goes at Red Dragon and just kind of looks at them and is like, okay, whatever, like I'm not going to fight you unless you come at me, so... Yeah, they're exactly. like, okay, cool. Uh, well, we don't want to fight you either, so we'll leave. 
And yeah, that, so they've gotten to a different point, which is fine. But there was also, we skipped over it briefly. There was the, I, I don't like when they do this necessarily. And I don't just mean AEW. I mean, any company. I like the idea of if somebody's gone, don't mention them, especially if they're not coming back for a while. And you get the Kenny Omega music and out comes Don Callis. <laughs> and okay, I was like, because you're dying over there. But but also in the context of what he said, it furthers the divide with, you know, the split between the Bucks and, and Kenny and then Cole and Red Dragon of like, you know, Omega would be here. Omega would do this differently. Kenny Omega might be out there beating Hangman to become world champion again. Like, I don't know if Adam Cole has what it takes to run this ship. I foresee a situation where Don Callis plays a similar car- uh, uh, supporting role to Jay White that Gato plays to him in Japan. Because Kenny is probably not going to be back until at least next year. And when he comes back, everything is set up for him to be a face. Right? Everything. The way he left, set up to be a face. All of the information we've gotten from the interviews and the videos and just all the stuff that's come out about him is so sympathetic that even if he came out and was like, Ha ha ha! I'm evil Kenny Omega! Look at my mutton chops. People would still be like, fuck yeah, Kenny's back. He's at 100%. So fucking excited. It it wouldn't work. Plus Danielson's a heel. Oh, yeah. That too. Oh, Uh, my goodness. Even running that match back, they're on the opposite side now. Oh, I can't wait for that match. But, yeah. So And Don Callis is a terrible face. What a waste of of time that would be. No, that's not happening. Right. So then if you're going to keep him around, Jay White feels like an easy place to put him. Although, then you run into the problems with Impact, because Jay White's working a lot of Impact dates, and for reasons heretofore not particularly understood, they don't want to do business with Don Callis anymore. I don't know. I I can't speak to any of that. Yeah. I, I also know we're, like, we're going off of, like, you know, the people in the match more than the match itself, but... Yeah, it just shows like there is so much room here of like, I, you know, we got into this because it's like they have so much expanded universe stuff, right? Mm-hmm. Like, absolutely. Um, and it's a lot. It's impossible to watch it all, I feel like. But yeah, you're going to get these character pieces. I hope they harp on them a little bit more on even just weekly television. Like, I understand you don't have to spell it all out for me on pay-per-view, but, you know, come on, give me something. The, the problem is that it seems like the like Dynamite and Rampage have more or less abandoned backstage segments uh, that aren't like interviews, right? They've they've kind of moved to trying to do the the thing that like we talked about when we talked about you know part two of the three part wrestling presentation series where they want to present themselves in kayfabe as a wrestling company. So we don't get backstage segments anymore. We get vignettes, we get uh, interviews, we get matches, and that's kind of it. And it's really kind of a shame because you lose the ability to have some of those character studies. I agree with that. Yeah, I uh, 
I like what they present. Don't get me wrong. Like I am a fan of AEW. I like in, and I enjoy their shows. Not to mention when you do some of the segments, like those are typically the ones that people generally like think go wrong more often than not. But besides that, I I do understand. Like if you need one, use it. Right? Like like take whatever opportunity you have to tell the story that you want to tell. Be it again a simple story a complex story whatever the case may be like AEW tells reasonably good organic stories of character growth we praise them for that repeatedly yeah imagine how much less weight and impact and value the hangman story would have had if we had none of the backstage segments of like him with uh uh the dark order which were instrumental to putting all that together yeah so yeah, exactly, exactly. So you, again, I'm, I'm going to go back to the match because it this ties into the match itself. Like, Cole is great. Cole is a guy who plays such a good heel for a guy who is such a lovable guy. I It, it blows my mind that that's possible. Yeah, he's a great person, and he comes off as the skeevy uncle who's going to give you drugs. <laughs> exactly, exactly. Yeah. Anyway, it's nuts. And plus, like, he's so good in the ring that it's easy to cheer for him. I, uh, my other, one of my other issues with the match that I did have, even though I, again, I did like this match. I called it a great match. I'm not a fan of the, I hit a move that finishes a lot of matches right into another move that is my finisher. And then you kick out. I'm not a fan of that especially after a 20 plus minute match, like really not a fan of that. And Excalibur, well, what I'm talking about is he hits the uh, Panama sunrise into the boom. Excalibur actually does what I would want somebody on commentary to do and say, normally when he hits the boom, he takes the knee pad down. It does additional impact. That's how he actually finishes people. He didn't do that. That's probably the only thing that saved Hangman. Okay. Okay, I'll give it to you. I don't love it, but I'll give it to you. Uh, I AEW is not the only company that gets criticized for this. New Japan, of course, uh, NXT has been criticized for this a million times of the finisher parade. If I hit my finisher 37 times in a row, you still kick out. And then I have to like light my leg on fire to super kick you. Your head flies off into the stands. That gets a 2.5. So then I do it again, and then I finally get a three. Okay, cool. But, you know, I get it. It's pay-per-view. You're still building up Hangman as the guy that's like, he's the champion. It takes a lot to beat him. He's finally at that level. Kenny Omega probably would have kicked out of it. So, okay, Hangman has to kick out of it. Cool, I get it. I, I don't love it, but I get it. I would make a distinction uh, just between the way that it happens in New Japan a lot of the time and the way that it happened in this match. Uh, because I also have a problem with the way that that went down. And I appreciate that there was a kayfabe explanation for it. They did regal it, and I appreciate that. But I, I think it's important to recognize uh, uh, that in New Japan, the idea of the, like, finishing moves are kind of exactly what you just, you just expressed that you don't really love about when companies do it. Is, and Okada is a great example of this, right? Where Okada in, in big matches will almost never win on the first Rainmaker uh, because 
the the whole concept with the company is supposed to be this like uh, this this challenge of desires it's this thing where your 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 passion versus their passion and so the 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 moves that they use that that finish their matches usually are strictly based on the the desire to win your match and be the best but when you bring the gold into the equation everything changes right the whole tone of a match is different in specifically in new japan uh if it is or isn't a title match right like the match that you'll watch uh, uh okada and omega or okada and naito have when they're wrestling for gold is not the match that you'll see them wrestle when they're not wrestling for gold. Uh, and I think that that's real, a really important distinction to be made where you, I, in my, in my opinion, you have a little bit more leeway to be like, okay, well, this finisher didn't end it, right? The Rainmaker didn't keep him down. Okay, so now one of two things is going to happen, obviously. Either he's going to keep risk control and he's going to pick him back up and we're going to do a second one and the match will be over, which happens a decent amount of the time. Or if we're doing like the big, big matches, right? The guys who are supposed to be the like top three or four guys in the company, then it's okay. The Rainmaker didn't do it. You go for the second one. It doesn't hit and and the match continues and you have this like trade off of finishers. And, you know, uh, there's definitely a lot of issue with it in, in most companies. And even in Japan, it happens sometimes. Absolutely. But like I said, I, th- I feel like there's a little bit more wiggle room there just in the presentation of their product. Agreed. And we've, we've discussed this when we talked about new Japan and it's something that took me a while to get used to when I started watching new Japan, because, you know, coming over from WWE when it's like one finisher, it's done most of the time, which they've kind of moved away from too, but that's the way it used to be. And, you know, looking at them, looking at uh, New Japan and and seeing that and seeing that's not how they work their matches, like it took me a while to get used to. I'm just saying like, you know, you can go online and see that that's a, a criticism levied against them a lot. I'm oh, not yeah. saying it's a fair criticism. I'm just saying like, you know, it, it's something that I see thrown out for them. And this is something that I think would fit into that category of like, you could complain about it. Personally, I'm not complaining about New Japan because I understand now that uh, that stance on the product that I didn't have before. Like, I get that point of view. Like, you know, explaining it to me like, oh, hey, it is like that clash of wills of like this type of thing. And it's like, these are my moves. Like, it's my finisher. I usually win with this. But like, if I don't, okay, cool. It's not like this giant upset shocking thing. Like, Kenny Omega and the one-winged angel stands out because it is the thing of like when I do hit this I do win pretty much 100% of the time so it's unlike everybody else's it's just I can't just hit it willy-nilly like oh god I can just like hit a short arm clothesline like okay I have to like set you up and all of this stuff and if you're not beaten up up enough then you can easily counter it and get out of it because it's a big complicated move so exactly yeah but this but was not this that. Match, yeah, this yeah, was not this that at all. Match, yeah. yeah, this is a thing where I get it watching enough Adam Cole matches. He's a smaller guy. He has to hit moves a lot more in order to be like, okay, I beat you. But this still was, I hit my two biggest moves on you in a row, uninterrupted, and you just kicked out. Like, 
after a long match. This wasn't like the first two moves of the match, right? Okay, little a little bit much. As long as it doesn't happen a bunch more, I I I won't like be too upset with it. But it's one of those things where like in the moment, don't love it. But if we go four, five, six months before something like this happens again on either side, I'm fine with that. Exactly. And again, this is the thing where I, I enjoyed the match a lot. Like this is nitpicking. Like this is uh if I'm an Olympic judge, this is like oh, I docked a half point. Like, yeah, I mean it's a fair yeah. criticism for sure though. It is. It, it's something that much like the large group of people in the audience who saw him take the belt and tie him to the top rope looked at that and said I don't like that that's a heel move and I don't necessarily understand why you're doing that so I'm gonna boo it I look at the finisher thing and say like okay this takes me out of it a little bit I don't love this like I I still enjoy the rest of it but this in particular here not my favorite that's all yeah it's totally valid uh, you know, but it it was it was good. It had the ending it needed to have, uh, and got us where we needed to be. I'm really curious about seeing what comes next. Tony Khan said that we're gonna have a lot of storylines, uh, starting out of Revolution. So I'm really excited to see where that goes. Potentially, uh, Team Taz and Best Friends is something I'm really excited to to see. Danhausen and Taz is gonna be absolute fucking magic Danhausen and ricky starks is gonna be absolute magic oh man there's, I love there's it. no downside to that so i'm really hoping that's where we're going for that um, me too yeah have please. them let them have a match where something happens and they have to feud over the color orange let's oh, do it goodness. let's go he has to change his name to cassidy, <laughs> cassidy. no orange Ca- no cassidy, cassidy jones you gotta make it cassidy jones this guy will be a cassidy jones <laughs> <laughs> I'm excited for like Ricky Starks and Orange Cassidy. There's there's so many just different ways that this is this could be a lot of fun. Uh and then we've got the Wardlow MJF thing, which is gonna be interesting. Uh but anyway, I digress. So uh gotta pick one match of the night. Uh well, because it came true, I can't look a gift horse in the mouth. It's uh it's gonna be Moxley versus Danielson with the throw in of the debut of William Regal at the end. I I don't think we talk extensively about the match to say like all of the things that I absolutely loved about it, but these are two of the people who are at the top of their game, right? Like Moxley is looking good and he's back. It looks like he can go. He looks, I don't want to say better than ever, but like, damn, maybe. (laughs) And uh, this is Danielson giving it everything he's got. And I, I couldn't ask for too much more, but this is definitely splitting hairs because there's I, probably the match you're about to say is the one that I'm like, if I flipped a coin, maybe on any other day, I, this is the one I'd be picking. Yeah. Um. So I will start with the sentiment rings true in the other direction. Flipped a coin on any given day. Uh. But yeah, listen, I'm an ROH baby. I've been an indie wrestling fan for as long as I can remember. And there was just something special that night, man. It was, it was something that really resonated, and especially after the 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 purchase of the company, and after the way that we've seen, you know, this whole thing with Punk and MJF playing out, and a lot of the really emotional pieces that that have been that have come together for it. 
And, you know, I am also a sucker for, like, classic wrestling matches. And, like I said, when we were talking about this match, the dog collar matches are really classic, you know, southern or, like, uh, mid-south thing that you, you would see to just, like, be the closing chapter on these stories. Uh, the closing, yeah, the closing chapter on these stories. And, man, this was this was exactly what, what it needed to be. Uh, so that's that's the match for me, man. And, you know, William Regal's amazing. I love William Regal. I love Brian Danielson. I love John Moxley. Any given day, man. But but that's what I got to go with, CM Punk and MJF. Nice, nice. And it's, it's crazy to me how close I think I would put Chris Jericho and Eddie Kingston. Yup. Right? Like, And even the tag match. I like the tag match. I think I like more than I remember liking it only just a little bit removed from it i plan to go back and rewatch it because there was definitely a little bit of like so we've talked about how i'm like a huge eddie kingston mark and so him getting that moment and getting to like tap out uh uh chris jericho really had me like floating on a on a bit of a like you know high for a while uh so i'm definitely gonna gonna go back and rewatch the rest like the, the tag team match Sounds like a plan. Uh, so here's the easiest thing we've ever had to do. So for AEW pay-per-views for this year, where would you rank it? <laughs> Number one. I have to agree. It's yeah. really, really nice that there's no other pay-per-views to rank it. <laughs> oh, man. I, You know, I, I think, and I'm not going to do this now, but looking back on the previous years of AEW pay-per-views, I think Revolution may be one of the top ones all three years yeah i think I, well really i mean you know like this is only going to be the third one for evolution but depending upon where you start their year if you go calendar year for the two years of revolution might be i don't know full gear was really good last year but we're all really good <laughs> yeah they they're like nxt man they're they're like back in the the takeover cycle where every takeover was like the best takeover i just i need a rest match next time Please, yes. I need it please. to be on a Saturday. Yeah, or that. I'll I take that. On a Saturday. Is it? Yes. Is it? Let me double check. Oh man. Let's look it up. Double Can I use my powers for this? May 29th. Oh, it's on Memorial Day weekend. Oh, okay. That's just as so, good. So not for me, but that's just uh, as good. Uh, it's still a Sunday though. God damn. No. Oh, see, for me, that means the kids are home. So that's worse. <laughs> yeah, but at least they have like an excuse. Of, yeah. Well, it's a holiday tomorrow, so you give off anyway. Yeah, yeah. Okay. Okay. So, um, closing thoughts. Man, this has been a busy week. Busy, busy week. We we always say next time we're gonna talk about this, and then crazy stuff happens, and we never get to. So I'm gonna refrain from saying next week we're gonna talk about anything, because maybe then we'll just get one thing to talk about. Um, I'll be bold. I'll be bold and I'll back up what I said at the beginning of the episode. Next week, Curious Case of Cody Rhodes Part 2. Let's nice. do it. <laughs> nice. Also, uh, you can find us at uh, Squared Circle Sit Down on YouTube and uh, Squared Circle Sit Down, right, on Twitter. Uh, I did not plug at the beginning of this. No, no, you didn't, you monster. Actually, on Twitter, we're Squared Circle SD. Yeah, correct me every time. Got you, got you. Uh, yeah, but please uh, leave comments, like, share, subscribe, get in touch with us. We 
love feedback. It's our favorite thing. Joe's doing the powerhouse Hobbs face right now. I don't know yeah, why, but don't let sure, it intimidate you. You you were you were doing the like the weird sneer thing he does. I think that's just his natural face. I I think so too. Anyway, thank you so much for for being here with us. Uh, we love you guys. Uh, just remember, it doesn't matter if you win the match. What matters is that you get over. Take care. We'll see you next time.